Our high school guidance counselor used to ask us what you would do if you had a million dollars. Didn't have to work. And then invariably, whatever you'd say, that was supposed to be your career. So if you wanted to fix old cars, then you're supposed to be an auto mechanic. So what did you say? I never had an answer. I guess that's why I'm working at Inatech. No, you're working at Inatech because that question is bull to begin with. If everyone listened to her, there'd be no janitors because no one would clean up if they had a million dollars. If I had a million dollars. If I had a million dollars. Talking about millions of dollars. What would you do if you had a million dollars? I'll tell you what I'd do, man. Two chicks at the same time, man. We're living in a material world and I am a material girl. Or boy. Well, what about you now? What would you do? Besides two chicks at the same time? Well, yeah. Nothing. Nothing, huh? I would relax. I would sit on my ass all day. I would do nothing. Well, you don't need a million dollars to do nothing, man. Take a look at my cousin. He's broke, don't do If I had a million dollars, if I well, had a million dollars, I'm on that. We're on the board. SP Futures up six, Nancy Futures up 17, trying to bounce back still from Friday's uh, losses. We tried to yesterday, but uh, it was a feeble attempt. S&Ps were up three, NASDAQ up one, and Dow up six, so... We pretty much stayed at the flat line all day. We've got the Fed meeting starting today. We've got the announcement tomorrow. Uh, that doesn't seem to be giving anybody too much thrills one way or the other. It doesn't appear. Uh, do we have Mr. Brennan? Yes, Chief, I'm here. How are you? Well, I'm okay. You know, I, I have to tell you a funny story. I was at um, at the Sox game Saturday night, halfway to St. Patrick's night. Yeah. And um, it took me longer to get home from Sox Park then the game lasted. <laughs> um, where was all the problem downtown? Oh, with the uh, Mexican, Mexican Independence, Independence yeah. Day Parade. Every blessed street going northbound. I mean, we couldn't get on Lakeshore Drive. We couldn't get uh, across any of the streets. It was incredible. It took us longer to get. And I wound up walking home uh, across North Avenue from, um, from a little bit west of Sheffield to Lakeshore Drive, a wow. mile and a half, because traffic was just a log jam. We couldn't move anywhere. So my friend, I, I jumped out of my friend's car. He went back home to the suburbs, and I had to walk that last half mile, almost two miles home. And I still got home before most of the traffic that uh, was backlogged at that spot. There was a huge accident at Halstead and North Avenue that had everything log jammed. But, boy, that was an incredible weekend. Yeah, I mean, every year they seem like they're going to, Try and tone it down. I put out warnings every year. It's bad. <laughs> it's uh, yeah. Yes. Doesn't seem so to matter. That was an experience. That was an experience. Um, the uh, do you have a stock in the was it the Jenko Oil Company, Don Carleone's place? Olive, <laughs> olive oil prices are surging over hundred percent. Record highs, sparking cooking oil thefts. Somebody cooking stole thefts. Somebody stole five hundred fifty thousand liters. Sorry of. Extra virgin olive oil was stolen from Spain's oil mills in late August. Wow! It's more than four hundred fifty grand worth of olive oil. How do you? What do you? How do you? How do you, how do you transport fifty thousand liters? Guys, a lot. It seems like a lot. Man, it sure does. Yeah. You need your own anchor. Yeah, it's a uh, um, interesting. A lot of a lot of crazy stuff going on in the world economically and otherwise. Um, I want to get your thoughts on two things. I don't know if you've had a chance to read it, but. I actually sent around yesterday. I, I found the actual lease that the White Sox lease play of the. Have you ever ever read this thing? No, I haven't. It's uh, it, it it's pretty interesting. The uh, let me see if I can. I'll dig it out. I must have, I must have put it in my 
something something page here. But they basically this year they're going to pay uh, a million bucks in in lease. That's pretty good. That's more than I thought they were paying. I thought that they, I, I, as I recall, they had a minimum number of fan attendance before they paid anything, and it was uh, an attendance that they reached only when they were really good. Now that lease was negotiated before the 2005 World Series, but it was only like once or twice that they had made the the uh, the number. I was actually surprised. Plus, I've been I've been totally wrong all and. Uh, and a couple of, of the things that I've talked about, the taxes. The taxes are, are not quite the same either. That they, we, I sent this out to everybody, and then I managed to lose it. Imagine that and me doing something like that. Uh, but I, it, it is... Uh, here, I get the thing from Kevin, because Kevin, Kevin actually did the math on it. Um, I will find it. Uh, it, it they essentially going to pay a million bucks. They pay the... Um, here's, here's what they pay. They pay the, the lesser... Of of a eight hundred thousand dollars eight hundred thousand people, and b the paid attendance for such season in excess of of uh, one million two it they pay two fifty a ticket, two dollars and fifty cents a ticket. So, uh, with no no escalation on it either, Brennan, which is even more bizarre. So yeah. it's, it's the same number as it was twenty years ago, mm-hmm. or twenty five years. So the ticket prices have to have tripled since then, wouldn't you think? Easily. Yeah, it's it's two dollars and fifty cents a ticket. Mm-hmm. Um, so here, here, here I have it. I have it. Mar- Marquette.edu. It's Mar- it's Marquette uh, Education Department that has this thing. And my my question to everybody was, uh, how can anybody live? With, anybody live? This is one where. Uh, do I want to open this? For God's sake. Um, anyway, I, I I will find it. I sent it to these guys. Now it doesn't want to open because it's it's part of the Marquette. Uh, uh, what do you call the uh, Marquette Law Department for some reason? Um, and it, it anyway. I'll, but but then then there's a uh, a kick after a million eight, so they actually have to pay on here it is. Lease summary basics, title of agreement, management between Illinois Sports Facilities Authority and Chicago White Sox Limited, uh, term of agreement twenty years effective March first, nineteen ninety one. The Fox hold four successive options to extend a term for five years each. Now, and here, here are the numbers. For each season during the first period following the existing stadium period, in which the paid attendance exceeds a million two, teams shall pay tickets fees equal to the aggregate of, this is a, if they exceed a million two, uh, the first tier ticket fee rate, $2.50. So they only pay two fifty a ticket. What's the average ticket price now? It's got to be 50 bucks. They pay two Easily. For, yeah. Oh, average average has to be a lot higher than that because um, my favorite seats are in the upper deck right behind home plate, and those are probably you know some of the cheapest seats in the stadium because of the upper deck controversies, and those were like 45 bucks a seat. If you're in the lower bowl down the, the lines, those are over 100 bucks a seat. Well, and then you got like the large seats and, uh, or like, yeah. and those kinds of And you've got some that are closer to home plate, like right by uh, the dugouts and into home plate on the lower deck that are, are higher too. Right, so they get, uh, all right, so teams shall pay ticket fees equal to the aggregate of the first tier ticket fee rate, 250, multiplied by the lesser, now the lesser, of 800,000 and, and the uh, paid attendance for each season in excess of a million two. And so this year they're a million six, so they essentially have to pay on 400,000 tickets, 250, okay. so it's a million bucks. 
The second tier ticket fee rate of only a dollar and a half, multiplied by the paid attendance for each season in excess of two million. So if they were to draw three million, they only got to they only got to come up with another million and a half bucks. Uh, but then now it says it was adjusted after the first period. This is the original lease, so I don't know how it might have gone up to three or three and a half. I'm not sure, but uh, or more. But I, I don't have this the adjustment. But, so, but the get a list for the media fees for the fee se- first season. Teams shall pay media fees equal to 35% of sign incomes, revenues from the sale or rental of sign advertisement within, within the stadium, for the fiscal year in which the stadium occurs in excess of $2 million. For each season after, uh, it doesn't say, doesn't say anything in here about the, uh, for the team shall pay media fee equals the lesser, the lesser of net income for the fiscal year in which such season occurs, and 35% of the aggregate of broadcast income Team revenues, blah blah blah, income in excess of ten million dollars for the fiscal year in which the season occurs. Um, I don't know if that if that means this, the stadium selling rights, if, uh, what the deal is on that. But the, all the capital improvements and everything are on, on the state, and the uh, normal maintenance is on the team. Whatever mm-hmm. normal maintenance is, and, and these guys are thinking about moving. Well, I you know, I think that that moving is just a threat because it would be insane for Jerry Reinsdorf and his group to walk away from a deal like that. Yeah, I don't, uh, I mean, I, I can't imagine people, so it's paid for by a 2% hotel tax. Mm-hmm. So anybody who comes to Chicago and pays, to, what percentage of people do you think to come to Chicago, stay in a hotel, go to a science game? Is it, it's got to be one-tenth of one percent. Oh yeah, it, it's, it's such a minimal amount, but I thought you were going to ask how many people come to Chicago and pay the hotel tax and don't know they're supporting the White Sox Stadium? <laughs> well, nobody. <laughs> Which is probably just barely more than the one-tenth of the one percent that you talked about who go to the Sox game. <laughs> but in, in the, uh, the, there's a one percent, actually it's a little more than that, there's a one percent tax on all the restaurants downtown yep. that goes to the, uh, this is, this, this money goes to the, well, it's, a, it's the Sox Stadium and Soldier Field. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's the boat of them. Uh, but then there's a 1% tax for the Metropolitan Pier and Exposition, which is McCormick Place and Navy Pier and that group. Mm-hmm. So every downtown, every time you, you buy a beer at Ceres, you're paying 1% for the McCormick Place and the, and the ex- Navy Pier. Right. I remember when those deals were, were put in place, too. And and remember that when those taxes were, were put in and that those deals were made, we, we the public, were assured that this was merely a backup for things like getting a good rating on the bonds because we would never, ever have to pay those things because of the amount of revenue that would be generated by the teams. Right. Well, uh, yeah, I don't think it's even uh, a million. I mean, a million dollars is, is a joke. It, it's, it's, what's yeah. that, the, is that the, what's the minimum salary for one player, man? It's a nine-something nine or five-something? In baseball? Yeah. Was it six hundred? Let me find it. I want to say it's five hundred around there. I thought it was a little bit more. I thought it was like seven fifty or eight hundred. Yeah, it's uh, Brennan's right. It's seven twenty now. All right, so uh, this a, just started in twenty twenty three at seven twenty. So it's basically a, a a crummy player and a half is the lease for yep. the whole year. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know how that ticket price doesn't go start out at two fifty and maintain a level of. You know, twenty percent of the price of the average ticket, or something. By the way, it jumped significantly. So from from twenty fourteen, right? So we're talking nine years ago until twenty twenty one. It was between five hundred and five seventy. 
and then 2022 it jumped to 700 and then 2023 up to 720 so they got races yeah yeah well you see some teams and uh it's it's pretty interesting some of the teams that go one way and go the other uh texas has always been i I haven't looked lately now maybe maybe take a look while you're uh texas always was a team that wanted a whole bunch of players shall we say making at least middle dough because some teams have literally the first five or six people make like all the money and, and sometimes they have as many as 15 people making minimum which is really strange well, the Pirates and the Royals are two teams that did that. The Pirates would maybe have two or three guys who were uh, like um, uh, McClendon in center field was a really high played player until they got player until they got rid of him. But you know, it was really stocked with double A and triple A players who were making the bare minimum. Kansas City was like that for a long period of time too. Actually, the White Sox when they had Canerco and those guys were real top heavy. The Rangers yeah. now have, have it's really in the last two seasons, have really started to spend a lot of money on guys. But because I'm looking at their salary, their uh, payroll table right now, and Corey Seager is their highest paid player. He's making 35.5 a year. Wow. Uh, their second guy is Marcus Simeon, who's making 26 million a year, and their third guy, uh, Martin Perez, is making 19.6 a year. So I mean, they've got some big time salaries now. But yeah, there was a period of time where they had a lot of a lot of minimums. I'm, not, I'm saying they didn't have very many minimums. They had a lot of people in the four and five range. They were, yeah, they and they stacked. still have a few of those. They got a guy making six, a guy making four, a guy making four, a guy making three, three, a guy making two. But a lot of that is what? After a certain period of time, you have to go to arbitration and you get bumped up a little bit. Yeah, well, I mean, plus I think every year you're in the league, the minimum gets higher for you. By the way, did you guys know that a Major League Baseball record, all-time record, was broken last night? Uh, no, what was that? Um, so you may or may not have read, but Adam Wainwright, the uh, longtime St. Louis Cardinals pitcher, uh, he earned his 200th win last night, beating the Brewers one to nothing. But what was historic about it was that he became the oldest. Uh, actually, this is not as historic as I thought it was as I reread it. Still historic, but not as historic as I thought it was. I thought it was the oldest pitcher. It was the, it's the oldest Cardinals pitcher. Uh, ah. with, with an outing of seven or more scoreless innings, he surpassed Jim Cott, who was 41, uh, when he threw a 10-inning shutout in June 1980. Wainwright went seven innings of shutout ball at age of 42. Well, yeah, you... because when you talk about that major league level, I'm thinking about guys like Warren Spahn. Right. Uh, and, and there are quite a few players who I think were older than 41 or 42 who pitched well uh, later in life. But, I mean, you're right. Historically, even for the Cardinals, you know, they've, they've had some pitchers over the years. So they, I mean, the, the Cardinals have been around for – what, over 125 yeah, years? So yeah. it's still historic, but not as historic yeah. as I thought it was when I originally read it. Um, yes. I have to believe that, uh, what's his name, Satchel Page must have done that. He came in, he was a rookie of the year when he was like 46, wasn't he? <laughs> yeah. Well, 46 that they could get to. It was probably 63 by that time. <laughs> yeah, but he was, uh, he, he was rookie of the year, wasn't he? Well, well Wainwright I, announced at the beginning of the year that this was going to be his last season at 42, and he's had you know, a very good career. Not a Hall of Famer, but certainly a Cardinals Hall of Famer. Yeah. Um, and he was sitting at 198 wins, and I think one of the reasons why he wanted to keep pitching is he wanted to get to 200 wins because that's a nice round number, and it's not 300, which used to be the gold standard, but now I mean, even getting to 200 is pretty rare. He sat at 198 wins for three months. Wow. He, wow. he couldn't get those last two wins. In the last seven days, he earned 199 and 200. Good wow. for him. Good for him. You know, we will, I don't think we'll ever see a 200-game winner a- – a- uh, again, uh, from anybody who's not currently close to that right now, like a Wainwright, 
but if you're looking at anybody who's coming in or has come in in the last five years, I don't think any of them will ever reach 200 wins the way that pitching has changed in the major leagues now. Why is, uh, you mentioned uh, Warren Spahn, I mean, he's obviously he's in the Hall of Fame, but he's really not in anybody's thought of highly list. Was there anybody more consistent than him 20 games a year? He won one for like how many years? Spahn in Spain and ch- pray for rain. Yeah, yeah. Hey, I got a trivia question for you, dude. I was digging up the Bears losing streak. God, are they awful. Uh, and the uh, they're at 12. Which is way, which is by far the Bears' worst losing streak ever. Uh, the last one was like eight or something. Uh, who's got the worst losing streak? Tampa Bay Buccaneers, I think. Um, actually, they no. had a, they had a long run, like in the seventies, didn't they? Where they lost there was a, sixteen. Oh, okay, they lost the whole year, and then the next two were the next year or something. Okay, kind of, yeah, I they got to the be Lions up there. Also lost the whole year too. Science Lions lost the whole year too. It was. They've got to be up there. The Chicago Cardinals were twenty nine during the war. Oh God! Ooh. Forty-one, forty-two, and forty-three. My, my grandfather's favorite team. Um, I shouldn't. You, know, you guys are gonna. I gave you sort of a hint. Out of the first teams that uh, formed the in the Hotmobile showroom, there's only two teams left that actually signed with the, one of the original teams. Can you name them? What's the question? They're only out of the first teams that formed the NFL or the whatever it was, the Professional Football Association. We all met in the Hutmobile place in Ohio. There's only two teams that are left. Bears and Browns? No. Bears gave, and Packers. I just gave it to you, the Cardinals. Oh, the Chicago Cardinals. Yeah. yeah. And what's the other one? The Bears. Okay, so the yeah. Bears and the Cardinals. The, 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 it's a trick question because by the end of the season, the Packers had joined. Right. And the, and the Browns were like the – and they actually were – I was going to say, the Browns and the Packers have to be up there. Yeah, they were like the first year or two. Uh, there actually were like 12 teams – they joined by the end of the year. Like, none of them were around. It was like six of them were from Ohio. By the way, real quick, uh, before we leave the sports conversation, um, I just pulled up MLB leaders in wins right now. So the leader in wins in all of baseball right now is Spencer Strider, who's a pitcher for the Braves. Not a surprise since they're the, they have the most wins in Major League Baseball. He's at 17-5 and five with uh, – Less than two weeks to go in the season, so he's not going to get to 20 wins. So there won't be a 20-game winner this year. Justin Steele for the Cubs is actually the second best at 16-4. and four. He's not going to get to 20 wins. So to Brendan's point, if you have to you know, average 20 wins over a 15-year period or you have to you know, pitch much longer than that, I don't think we're going to see a 300-game winner again, and it might, we might not see many 200-game winners again. Oh, we'll never, we'll never see another 300-game winner. I'll, I'll put money on that. And I don't think the way pitching is now with, you know, you're lucky if starting pitchers qualify for wins right now going five innings. So unless they change the five inning rule, you're not going to see 200 game winners. Uh, I wonder if you're ever going to see a 100-game winner again if, if they keep going this way where you, you have pitchers lasting three, four, five innings at most uh, in a game. And then how many relief pitchers, you know, if you have a bad relief court, many, how many times you lose games in the last couple of innings of a game, well, even if you lead with the lead. Exactly. And there's only one guy so far that's pitched over 200 innings. That's Logan Webb, the Giants pitcher, who's a really good pitcher. He's at 201. There's about five or six other guys that have a chance to get to 200 innings by the end of the regular season. So guys just aren't pitching enough innings. I mean, that's that's like Brendan and said. And that used to be routine. I mean, did, there was a statistic that I saw not too long ago about Bob Gibson, who uh, who had 30 starts back in like 67 or 68 
and two of his starts were seven innings. Those are his shortest outings out of 30 starts. <laughs> well, it used to be you wanted to get – a lot of guys wanted to get 40 starts, and then it was 35, yeah. then it was 30. What is, what's it now? Is it even 30? Well, I mean, you still are hoping to get 30, but that's, that's rare. That's – it's, you know, you're talking about one starter maybe per staff that gets to 30 yeah. starts. I just yep. I have a well, real, real stupid question. I know it, forty starts. I know it would go against all the the current baseball grain, but I could see when you expected guys to go eight or nine innings, going on four days rest. If you're only going five innings, why do you need four days rest? When the leaf, when leaf pitchers go every day, because you're throwing hundred miles an hour. <laughs> but I, mean, I I don't know that that I don't think you need four days to recover. From, I mean, I because you, you never go over very rarely you go over hundred pitches. Well, they certainly That's don't give them four days in the playoffs. No. I mean, you know, if, if you're only going to go, some guys are going 80. They pulled Hendricks the other night, and he was, when he was what, 68? Why, why does the guy yeah. need four days rest? They didn't even throw that hard. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the theories is now they don't want the starting pitcher to go through the rotation three times. They well, figure the third time. they it, the, the, There's a new stat looking at pitchers right now. What's the batting average against the first time through the order, the second time through the order, and the third time through the order? And um, many of the pitchers drop dramatically in uh, batting average against the third time through the order. So if a guy like Hendricks can get through the order twice on 75 pitchers, they don't want to risk him going through the, the batting order again a third time to get pounded. Well, I, I, sort of, I think some of that has to do with uh, the definition of reliever Relief pitcher, if you were really smoking, you could you could do an inning with one pitch, mm-hmm. like yeah. the uh, if you were just that. Who was the guy in the? He started out on the White Sox, then went to the Yankees. The hell's his name? The relief pitcher, babe. The, oh, Bruce Gossage yeah. or Terry Foster? Yeah, those yeah, are yeah those kind of guys. And then if you had if you had two pitches, you were a really good relief pitcher. But a starter was supposed to have at least three, maybe four. At least three, four, yeah. So yeah. so when you saw a person a third time, you didn't give him the same stuff, right? And now I I don't think a lot of starters have three and four pitches. A lot of no, have, they, they a lot of have two, and they and they just keep changing the grip to try and get the fastball. To be, I mean, a fastball is a fastball, even though they're talking about now it's a four seamer and a two seamer. They they move a little differently, but it's still basically a fastball, right, Matty? Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, but they move differently. I mean, they are different pitches, but they're still fastballs. Right. So, I mean, it's not the same as having. I mean, it, it, I mean that accuses the old fastball guys of only having one grip. I don't think that's true. But they had a fastball, they had a curve, they had a change up slider's kind of new though right so, i mean it's new in the last i'll say since the 70s but gibson those yeah guys, i would say i mean still it's over 50 years old probably yeah you know the big change with the slider came with night baseball you can't you can't pick it up as well at night as you can in daytime and but now the, the lights are so good at some of these stadiums by the way i have not have been to the uh wrigley field this year with my dislike of the rickets but um they put in all those new lights is it that much brighter I don't think I've been to a night game. I think I've been to uh, three or four day games this year, and that's it. So I don't know. Yeah, I don't think I've been to a night game there either yet. It looks I a have... lot brighter on TV. It does. It looks that. a lot brighter on TV. Tell you what, if you go to that, uh, I've been to you know a bunch of the parks. I need to go a lot more, but the park that is absolutely like daylight is at Cincinnati Park. Those guys, yeah. whatever they spend on lights, they got like four or five towers in the outfield in addition to a whole bunch of the thing looks like you walk in there and you go, wow. It had to be twice as bright as the, as the first iteration of the Wrigley lights. I'm not kidding. It had to be twice as bright. 
It's like it's like going to a baseball team to a softball field. It different. wasn't that long ago where the Wrigley lights. I mean, it was almost like you were playing a Park District sixteen-inch game where there was like dark spots. It was bright. It was bright enough in the infield because, yeah. but, but they have no outfield lights. Yeah, I mean, it's God. The Park District lights. I play a lot of night softball, and it it's it's worse than it's ever been, and it's always been bad. But like, there's just dark spots. There's <laughs> there's moments where you can't see the ball at all. There's a the the general. I mean, I don't know, not to lab into a political discussion with two minutes left. The general incompetence in the city is something I've never seen. I mean, all you have to do is put somebody, if you, if you put the new bulbs in there, first of all, you'd save on the, on the electricity. You'd, you'd lighten the place up tremendously. And while you're up there, put two or, th- two or three more bulbs in there. You, you could, this is an easy fix, right? <laughs> you would think. I mean, this is not that. I don't know, it's just. Well, you know, one of, one of the reasons for that, when Maddie's talking about the conditions of the, of the parks, uh, I was reading an article over the weekend that there is no park supervisor for Grant Park. With all the activities there, there's no park supervisor uh, assigned to to Grant Park downtown. Really? They have different department heads that have different, uh, and it, uh, on the organizational chart, the the head guy who's there without a park supervisor is the uh, the head of revenue. So what do you think they're thinking? Well, yeah, I mean, the, well, the last year we played at... Uh... At Horner Park, um, was that like five years ago? Maybe we saw the the, 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 the uh, radio league. Yeah, weren't, weren't they charging uh, like seventy bucks a game just to use the field? And you had to bring your own bases. Some huge number. Yeah, I don't know what what it was, but it was yeah, it was substantial. It wasn't like ten bucks or anything, and, and, no. and it wasn't like they provided the bases like they used to at Mount Greenwood or anything like that. I mean, you had to bring all your own stuff, and they still it was fifty or started out at fifty and it kept going up every year. Because remember when they. When they uh, stopped the league, they said they, well, they were up to they wanted like a hundred. Well, now I mean it's it's rare to even find a park district league. They they outsource to the different social clubs now because there's like three social clubs, two big ones, and there's now an, a third kind of smaller one, which is which is fine. It, I mean it, it makes it more competitive. Um, but yeah, the the park district doesn't really do anything. I mean they don't upkeep the fields at all. The lighting's terrible, and uh, and then these social clubs are responsible for bringing the bases and and renting the fields and providing the umpires and everything else. Well, you oh, guys, I didn't realize that. It's, you that's all, not hundred percent across the board, but it's almost there. Well, you guys got booted on your south side league a couple years ago, right? The guy just said he wasn't going to do it anymore. Yeah. Well, Lakeshore Park down at uh, Chicago across from Northwestern, uh, Chicago and Lakeshore Drive, they've taken out the base the softball fields. You can't play softball there anymore. They, they used to have two fields there, which was really interesting because just like in Grand Park and Hutchinson Field, you have the left fielder from one team and the right fielder from the other team saying, let me know if the ball's coming because they're facing <laughs> each other. Standing right uh, by each other. Yeah, I mean, they're they're literally have their hands in each other's pockets because they're standing right next to each other. Um, but in, in Lakeshore Park, the fields are gone. Well, well, we got a dash in LaGrange. We played out there. Uh, they remodeled the park. And everybody, there must be, how many, how many Gladys Kravitzes do we have in the world now? It took them, what, Matty, two or three years to complete the remodeling. And the upshot of it was they couldn't just have all softball fields. They had to have, what, they had a skateboard park. They had something. Every time we were there, there was never anybody in any of the other areas. Right. And yet, you know, but everybody's whining and whining and whining. Why the softball players? I, I don't know. Anyway, Brendan, thank you very much, bud. Hopefully see you soon. SP Futures up 5. NASDAQ Futures up 24. Be right back. Mr. Joel and kind of talk about this market. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox. 
The Control Freaks Guide to Life, Money, and Probability. Luckbox shows you how to gauge the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other decision. And Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with relevant trade ideas, and equips you with cutting-edge tactics you don't already know. Luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on pursuing life, luxury, and happiness through sports, fitness, travel, food, spirits, music, and a whole lot more. Smart investors don't bet on possibilities, they play the probabilities. Luckbox is $7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Is your business being challenged by the complexities surrounding healthcare reform or other matters related to human resources management? If so, then Cognos HR can help. A longtime friend and contributor to the Stocks and Jocks radio program, Cognos HR provides its clients with a perfect blend of strategic consulting and day-to-day HR management to drive overall improvement in business performance. Companies that join the Cognos HR family are better able to manage health care costs, enhance benefit offerings, and improve employee satisfaction by leveraging our access to Fortune 500 benefits. Our innovative onboarding and payroll technology, along with our constant attention to detail, enables us to provide the highest level of quality service to our clients. Now, your time and energy can be focused on generating business and increasing your bottom line. We'll take care of the rest. For more information, call us at 630-401-8810 or search us on the web at CognosHR.com. Cognos HR, innovation in human resources. Licensed in Illinois and Arizona. Stocks, jocks, Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Right here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Lower up, Stocks and Jacks. I'm Tomorrow, Matt Weber on the board. SP Futures up 550, NASA Futures up 23. Now, Futures up 28. I don't see anything moving all that dramatic here. Uh, Apple's up 96 cents. Had a little bit of a rally yesterday after being down for a while, but a little bit of a bounce the last couple of days. Uh, NVIDIA is up uh, 3 bucks. It's 4.42. It, tra- it traded, I think, 5.17 or something after the earnings like a month ago, and it's down, down like 70, 80 bucks since then. Wow. Uh, over, in, over in Europe, we've got the uh, DAX down 22, the FTSE up 4, the CAC round up 14. So virtually nothing going on there. I had a Fed meeting just like us yesterday. Over in Asia... Uh, we've got the Nikkei, where they were closed yesterday. They're down 290 today, 0.9%, 33,242. Hang Seng, which we got clobbered yesterday, was up 66 points today. Tried to make it back to 18,000, but didn't do it. 17,997, almost. Shanghai, down a buck, so let's call that one flat. Yesterday, again, talking about flat. Dow was up 6, S&P up 3, NASDAQ down 1. Some would call it an inside day, some would call it a really boring day. Uh, it was both. Uh, 10-year unchanged, 4.32 to Bund, minus 1 basis point, 2.71. Japan up 1 basis point, 0.72. Again, everybody's hanging on the Fed here, and I don't think the Fed's going to do much. Uh, oil up 87 cents again, another 1%, 92.35. Brent up 43 cents, 90.46. Natural gas down a penny, 271. Arbob still unchanged at 269, but somewhere along the line here, oil keeps going up because Arbob's going to start to move. I don't see how it, I don't see how it doesn't, but... Gold up 350, 19.56. Silver up 12 cents, 23.62. Copper down 3 cents, 3.73. We have Bitcoin, which been on a tear, 
Another 312, 27,138, that's 1%. US dollar, which has been all over the place. The euro, it's it's a little weaker. The euro's back up to 107. Uh, a little weaker against the pound. The pound back up to 124. But they both were, they were 109 and 128 for a while. So we're still down from those taps. I'm, I'm saying the dollar is stronger. They're down from those taps. Maddie, we have for Australia Wheeler Sports. Coming up on 36 minutes past the hour. Good morning to everyone out there. Off to a good start here on the Area Expressways. But we do have rain coming in this morning. That will probably affect the morning rush. Uh, but so far, so good. Uh, no accidents to report on any of the Area Expressways. A couple of crashes off. The expressways, though, Lamont Road at 87th Street in the uh, southwestern suburbs uh, in Lamont there. And then on the south side, there's a crash at Harlem in 167th. But everything else looking good out there. Weather today, uh, clouds and rain early. Uh, expected to stop by about 10 a.m., but again, will affect the morning rush. We'll reach a high of 68. Right now, it's overcast, still dry, and 60 degrees downtown. For our Phoenix listeners, sunshine with a high of 100 today. Right now, it's clear and 76. In sports, the Cubs were off last night, a much-needed off day. After losing five in a row and eight out of the last ten, they're hanging on to that final wildcard spot by percentage points over the Cincinnati Reds. Cubs will welcome the Pirates into town at Wrigley, uh, looking to uh, start a winning streak with two weeks to go in the season. That's a 6:40 first pitch. White Sox beat the Nationals 6-1. D-backs were off. They'll host the Giants tonight. D-backs currently hold the second wildcard spot after sweeping the Cubs over the weekend. There was two games in Monday Night Football last night, and they were both pretty close. Saints topped the Panthers on the road in Carolina 20-17, and it was the Steelers upsetting the Browns uh, at home with two defensive touchdowns uh, to beat Cleveland 26-22. Chief. Do we have Mr. Joel? Morning, Chief. How you doing? Good. How are you? Uh, what's uh, well, we'll talk about the the market, the Fed tomorrow. But what's uh, are any of the plants in Detroit the ones on strike? Is there any more news there? Toledo, Toledo. I believe there's one in Toledo, Ohio. Actually, if you uh, if you're looking at um, any of the photos on Bloomberg or New York Times or any of the big publications. I know you, people don't look at the byline very often, but if you look at that byline, you're going to see uh, Emily Alconin, and uh, that's my daughter. So she's been a busy girl. I think the uh, Toledo Warren. I think there's a place uh, in Missouri too. So man, it it could get ugly, Chief. That's what that's what it's looking like here in the Motor City. Yeah, I think it, uh, and then you had Trump out peeping that. Union better watch out or the jobs are going to go to Mexico. Is that, does that guy have any knowledge of anything he talks about? Just, I don't know. Uh, no comment. Yeah, no, no comment. comment. No comment. <laughs> I'm just, I, uh, I, think, I think Jim Cramer said that, too. Um, about, I, I thought. I thought. But I mean, about about the jobs going to Mexico? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yep. it's uh, yep. at some point, uh, and, and the, the, well, whatever. I said the point might be now that. If, if we we can't just constantly have one group losing it to the other groups, I, I looked and said the last twenty years, uh, according to inflation, the, their wages are yep. down twenty percent. I mean, yet management wages are up huge. Yeah, well, there's a lot less management. I mean, they're far apart. I yeah. mean, that's that that's the thing that's concerning right now. Um, you know, they went into this uh, determined that they were going to strike. Uh, and um, I think you have to look at the overall complexion of uh, of the U.S. economy and, you know, where things are going. And, you know, I'm not in that, uh, you know, crazy recession camp yet. And, and then just for full disclosure, 
people like I hear people now talk. Well, maybe it's going to be a soft landing. I've been calling for a soft landing for two years, and no one and no one seems to listen. But you know, a soft landing, a mild landing. I mean, there are going to be parts of the U.S. economy that are cyclical and sick. You know, that, that means there's cycles. So, is there an up cycle? Is there a down cycle in the U.S. car, uh, U.S. auto industry? The thing that's bothered, not I won't say bothered me, but the thing that I, I've just for years and years of watching stocks, I don't think I've seen a stock like compare with General Motors the way it beats earnings and beats earnings expectations and gets absolutely no credit from the street. I mean, it's just the way it is. And, uh, you know, this has been a low P.E. market. I mean, you look at GM's earnings, you know, going back over, you know, the last couple quarters, buck 91 versus a buck 85, beat revenue by 2 billion, 221 versus 171, 212 versus a buck 69, 225 versus 189. So, I'll watch the stock and then I'll let the stock tell me what's going to happen, but right now GM is hanging out at uh, like 2-3 year lows um on some major support. Ford has been had its up and downs, but they both have had precipitative sell-offs uh, ahead of this strike. So it's whether the, you know the money was out ahead of it. Let's see where the money is as this thing drags out. Well, I mean, it, you're not you're not just talking about those stacks, I don't think, Joel, because last no, year no, when the when, no. the when the the big stacks, well, the big high cap stacks were down, and everybody at the beginning of the year. Uh, uh, a lot of the people I manage money for, I mean, I don't manage that part of their portfolios, thankfully. Uh, <laughs> all everybody wanted to do is be in your your solid stocks after last year, your dividend paying, the stocks that can't go wrong, your telephones. 3M, they make money every year, and they pay a dividend every year, and it goes up. GM, Ford, all those stocks like that, Verizon, that really have done nothing bad this year, all, this, all those stocks are down I'll buy wow. a lot. Yeah, 3M, I wouldn't put in that category because 3M has just had a host of problems. Uh, they're having those pro- the ear earplug uh, yeah. um, uh, lawsuit. Yep. Um, Chief, it's tough to top into a 5 6% dividend stock when you can go to your bank and do that. Well, I mean, you, it's you, just it's tough. But you couldn't at the beginning of the year. What I'm saying is, is these okay. other, but these other companies. That we're talking about, we don't seem to care if Lululemon has a forty times earnings and no dividend. We don't, we don't care Correct. about it. The same thing. We get, we get the stocks that are going up, and we don't really care what they are, you know, type of thing. And we other stocks that are just plain boring. They don't go up. They just sit there. So nobody trades them. It's, it's the weirdest <laughs> thing I've ever seen. It, I, I'd have to agree with you on that. It's, uh, you know, it's a story driven. It's a momentum market. Um, and if you don't have a story and you don't have momentum. Or you're not a mega cap tech company, or you're not getting, you know, and then you don't have a CEO that, uh, you know, is running his mouth all, all the time. No, no, no stocks or companies mentioned. Yeah. Um, then you're not, you're not in the spotlight. Um, I, I totally agree with you on and that. And I mean, the, the retail public, uh, you know, this isn't everybody, and it's not for me to accuse, you know, certainly my clients because I don't think they're in that. It, everybody, if you sit every down at the beginning of the year, they say, if you can get me six, seven, eight percent steadily. I'm all yours, and all of a sudden you're up six, seven, eight percent. Hey, how come we're not in Nvidia? It's up thirty percent. Well, first of all, it's not a stack you want any part of. Yeah, but it's up. <laughs> it, I mean, it, 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 it,
people who even even who pay other people to manage their money watch TV all day. You know, and it, uh, <laughs> that there. I mean, there are some other sectors that you know, uh, besides Nvidia. I mean, uh, the, you know, the energy sector. There yeah. are pockets of strength in 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 the market, and you just have to you know look at what your most important are. You know, what are your parameters? What are your risk reward parameters? Where are you at in your investing cycle? Um, a lot of different things go into it uh, in, the, in speculating. Yeah, I will. Last Not year, anything you know. Last year, I mean, since we have so many uh, different indexes now, I mean, the, the ones that we are always stay involved in are the highest liquidity ones. The, the, the little spiders like the XLEs and the XLV and those kinds of mm-hmm. things. You can actually trade them. All. You you could not put anybody. You couldn't even mention the XLE at the end of December last year to anybody. Well, oil companies had such a horrible year. And now that's been the one that's outperformed everything. But you, you couldn't mention it in December because they had a bad year last year. But Chief, it's sometimes, and you know, yeah. over the years, being a contrarian. Can, Without a doubt. Uh, yep, exactly. Right, you know, right up the ups and downs in the markets. But um, I, I don't think, you know, everyone's sitting on the Fed tomorrow, waiting yeah. on the Fed. I don't think they're going to tell you anything. They're, they're still data dependent. They're still watching inflation. Uh, they don't think it have it whooped. There's no, uh, maybe there, yeah, I think there's a pause. Maybe they got another quarter on the table. But I don't, you know, people are looking for rates to go down. I just don't think it's happening, Chief. And I, I don't mean, either. I, yeah, I had 23, 24. I mean, this is the new normal. Yep. Adjust, adjust your bust. Take care of yourself. Uh, big game, Ohio, I, State, Ohio State, Notre Dame. Who's Michigan playing? Uh, Michigan's got Rutgers at home. Uh, I, J.J. Uh, McCarthy threw three interceptions last week. We also had a fumble. So uh, Harbaugh will be back after this, after his uh, three suspensions. So we got to pick it up. Uh, uh, Rutgers, uh, I don't bet, but, man, Rutgers getting 25. Holy mackerel, that's yeah. a lot of points. All right, bud. All right. SP Futures up two. Nancy Fears up five. Be right back. Kenny Polkiri. Are you one of the millions of people who suffer with pain? Do you wake up in the morning with stiffness in the lower back or neck? Why are you using medication to cover up the symptoms without treating the actual cause? Painkillers, muscle relaxants, and anti-inflammatories are not the answer. At ChiroMed, physicians are trained to detect the cause of your symptoms and to correct the underlying problem. If you're ready to listen to common sense and do what it takes to make changes in your body that can affect your health for the rest of your life, give ChiroMed a call and set up a complimentary consultation. They are located in Orland Park and can be reached at 708-403-2727. 20,000 patients over 22 years have been treated at ChiroMed, and over 90% of them have had positive results without medication or expensive surgery. Isn't it time you did something good for your body too? Give ChiroMed a call, 708-403-2727. That's 708-403-2727. Let's get you pain-free and living again. Hi, I'm Audrey Johnson, an owner of Home Source Realty and a frequent contributor to Stocks and Jocks. If you're nervous about the stock market and considering diversification or are looking for a rate of return way better than your banks, consider adding rental properties to your portfolio. Whether it's a condo, single family, or multi-unit building, I can help you select a property that meets your financial needs. Call or text me at 708-349-349. Five six. That's seven zero eight three four nine three four five six. Or visit my website at myhomesourcerealty.com. That's myhomesourcerealty.com. Interested in promoting your business to a high-end audience comprised of entrepreneurs, traders, executives, and the everyday business person? Consider advertising on Stocks and Jocks. 
With a devout listenership covering the Chicago market, along with a vast online presence, advertising on Stocks and Jocks may be just what it takes to put your business over the top. For more information, contact me, Matt Weber, at matt at stocksandjocks.net. That's matt at stocksandjocks.net. Hello, this is Tom Howell, the Chief. Confused about investing these days? I suspect you are not alone. Investing was never easy, although at times it may have seemed so. I think one reason behind the current concern, although maybe not explained as such, is how the fluctuation in the American dollar and the associated politics is affecting your investments and your wealth. It may not be enough to make some money in your investments. You may need now to make enough to exceed the amount that your leadership is depreciating the value of the dollars you've worked your whole life to accumulate. That same leadership has seen fit to maneuver risk-free interest rates to near zero. Providing positive risk-averse returns in a zero-interest and declining real-wealth environment is by far the toughest assignment I've ever had in my years as a money manager. I'm sure that a lot of you have heard that one way to possibly deal with this problem is to invest in so-called hard currencies like silver and gold, the idea being that they will retain their relative value in the face of devaluation of paper currencies like the dollar. To be honest, I have never been a gold bug. I've always had faith that having enough dollars and a good investment strategy was good enough. Now I'm not so sure. But I do know that if I didn't invest in gold or silver, I'd want to do it in the same manner as we do with PTI for investments in the market, with defined risk. If you feel the need to invest in gold or silver, we can do it using the same strategies that we use for our protected index program. No matter what you invest in, we feel that you need to know and control your risk. Find us at PTISecurities.com. That's PTISecurities.com. Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Here, right now. Love that song. I think I have the album somewhere. God. Uh, SP Futures up three. NASDAQ Futures up 750. I'm Tom Howell, Matt Weber on the board. Uh, do we have Mr. Kenny Polkiri, Mr. Florida. How are you, bud? I'm good. How are you? I'm okay. Every 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 day without a hurricane in the fall is a good day for you guys, huh? <laughs> yeah, we didn't get one. You know, it veered away. And I guess the, the next couple that are out there don't appear to be heading this way. But, you know, the news can change. We realize that it can change very quickly. Well, something uh, I'm surely no meteorologist keep trying to get uh, Russell's daughter in here and straighten me out on this, but so, something, uh, I'm not saying weird, but something happened is every time one aims at Florida, it gets kicked back out in the ocean. There must be some big high pressure or something with El Nino that's shoving them all up north. This would be your New York better watch out. Uh, no, I hear, I hear you. I'm not, uh, I'm not, uh, I'm not banking on anything hitting us at the moment. But look, you know, we're still getting a week in September and the whole month of October, which is still hurricane season. So we'll see. And and I think that's the same for the markets as well, right? Hurricane season in the market, September, October, tend to be volatile times. Now, you know, September has not been nearly as volatile as maybe I thought, but there are still nine days left in the month, and it's the end of the quarter as well. So I think you're going to start to see some uh, reallocation. You'll see some money come out of the, uh, the the high performers again, moving into maybe some of the underperformers as some of these asset managers prepare for the end of the year and then prepare for you know the start of 2024. I can't even believe we're talking about the start of 2024 yeah. being within earshot, you know? Yeah, it seems like Y2K was yesterday. Uh, it seems like Y2K <laughs> was yesterday. I know. Is that unbelievable? Yeah, it is something. Um, I, uh, we were, uh, you know, I was helping, well, I wasn't helping. I actually took a ride with Audrey to do a walkthrough in some house way the hell in the middle of nowhere, although she claims everybody's moving out there. Um, but the, the housing prices, which never ran off the chart huge here anyway, 
uh, are really, really hanging in there despite uh, the rates going up. And I, I just see this double-edged, you know, dagger hanging over everybody, somebody's stock prices and somebody's housing prices, and yet I think there probably is a path for us to get through without something really bad. Okay, the question is, are we going to stay on that path, or is something going to be a jolt here that causes people to sell homes and people to, to because some of these stocks are, are way heavy. We've had adjustments in some of them, and his NVIDIA is down, what, 80 bucks since the, since the high after the earnings? That's like a yeah. big number. I mean, uh, so some of them has, have adjusted some in the last few weeks. Uh, uh, Joel was just talking about the total disconnect between, well, they're on strike, but your, 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 uh, you know, your, the stacks that are trading, you know, 8 and 9 and 10 PE, your, your Verizons and your telephones and your, nobody wants any of those things. And, uh, and yet everybody wants these other ones. And, uh, you know, I don't see how Lululemon stays up here, but it does. Uh, and it, it, first of all, I'm never going to short it because it does stay up here. I mean, you short it, you just get carried out. But it's, it does seem like there are, are really amazing amounts of favorites versus other ones. And if you're a fundamental analyst, you've got to be having the worst years ever. Well, I would agree. But, you know, to your point, if you look at it, we do see NVIDIA's down, Apple's down, some of the other big so big outperformers are down. But look at telephone. Telephone is actually turned up, right? You see money going into telephone. You see money going into the utility sector. Look, I've been talking about that for a couple of weeks in my note. The sector itself was down about almost 13%. Individual utility names down even more, right? Next Terra was down almost 22%. Those stocks are starting to find bids now, right? As uh, people remain right. nervous, typically defensive names. U- utilities rallied 5.5% over the last week. And uh, the individual names that were down even more are seeing uh, even better bids. And so you are starting to see, and I think that goes to my original point, as we approach the end of the quarter, you'll see money coming out of some of the high flyers, like NVIDIA. They'll lock in some of these profits. They'll reallocate that money. um, And they are doing it to some of these kind of more boring um, state stocks that represent a little bit of stability, especially if you think that we're still in for some, you know, for some volatility in the month of October, which I think we are. Well, I mean, it, I, I keep driving back to the uh, when I shouldn't because it's probably uh, if, you, if you look at the actual n- numbers, okay, it comes down the winners are going to be those people that can take our forty percent inflation over the last four years and charge more than that. And as time That's goes correct. by, utilities are clearly in that group. I mean, That's right. the CPI came out the other day and it said piped gas, pipe gas service was down six and a half percent or some huge number on the year. Sixteen percent on the year. Yet my mine went up six percent last month. So uh, uh, the, the disconnect <laughs> between our, our the morons that are doing this stuff and actually what's happening, the, the the price increases are just working their way through the monopolistic places that have to go through a, a state legislature, right? I mean, well, you're, you're, you're just getting your electric and gas increases from two and three years ago. It just takes this long to get through the system, and they're not going back down no matter what the Fed does. No, and I agree. And listen, the the fact that, you know, oil is trading up here, it's up another one and a half percent today, trading at almost ninety three dollars a yeah. barrel. Um, and Melvin goes, Yeah, but you know, it's volatile, that that'll that'll dissipate. It's not gonna dissipate because the price of transportation is gonna go up and people have to pay more to transfer. Where do you think they're gonna get that money from? They're gonna get it, they're gonna get that money because they're gonna raise prices on what? Food and, and all the other stuff that we need. And so this whole idea that, you know, they 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 They've uh, uh, succeeded in killing inflation. I don't think they've done it yet, which is why I still am on the side that I don't think we're done yet. I think 6% is going to be the terminal rate. 
uh, is where they want to take it. I'm sorry. I just think that's where it's going. We may get a pause next week. They've told everyone they're going to pause. If they do anything but that now, it'll create havoc. You mean so t- they have to, tomorrow? They have to. Today, this week. T- t- uh, tomorrow. Yeah. Right. Tomorrow. What do you, what do you make to- of as a as a New York sort of dude for all these years? What do you make of the fact that the uh, oil has gone up tremendously here to ninety some dollars a barrel, yet our bob is actually going down? I mean, if that's going to have to start to go back up because you had you had a uh, unleaded gas was two ninety something in August, and so now it's. It's uh what two sixty nine. I mean, so actually, it had this oil price is not. I got guess Sunday, cheaper than I have in eight weeks. Okay, well, I don't know where you're gonna guess. I should drive out there by you because I've done nothing but pay more. I'm paying four forty for gas and regular. Really? That's just regular. I'm we, paying four forty for. I think we we must have come off the summer blend or something. But I mean, so we we look at the Arbob. I'm saying Arbob is down twenty twenty uh twenty cents since August, and and oil is up whatever. Thirty percent, twenty five percent. That's going to change. Gas prices have gone nothing but straight up. So okay, well, I mean that's going to change here. I mean, I got to believe next week it'll be four fifty or something. Yeah, I, I think it's going to have to be yeah. right. How can they? How can gasoline go be going down when oil's clearly? It's up. It's now up twenty percent since August twenty fourth. The yeah. price of oil. It clearly, I think it's going higher as the Saudis and the Russians, you know, stay in bed under, under the under the sheets, nice and cozy together as they continue to cut production um, and force prices higher. And a hundred dollar barrel of oil is now no longer, you know, kind of out of the picture. When oil was trading at seventy dollars, I was going, oh no, never, never, never. Guess what? We're only eight percent away from a hundred dollars. Now that's still a big move, but we're much closer than to a hundred than we are to sixty. Kenny, how much? Uh, I mean, as is. <laughs> As my old teacher used to say, Milton Friedman, the hardest thing about a hotel is maintaining discipline because everybody cheats. Right. <laughs> I mean, how much how much can the Saudis and the Russians count on each other to do what they say? And there really are there's something like 21 countries in the world that export some oil. I mean, is there yeah. any chance? I mean, some of this will be met, will be will be made up by other people. You got to believe some other some places like the Libyas of the world got to be dying to to sell the oil at 95 bucks. Yeah, I, I agree. So yes, yeah, so at some point. You should see other oil come to the market at these prices, but you're not seeing it yet. You're not seeing it yet, which is interesting to me that, you know, I would agree, $95 a barrel of oil is expensive considering where it was really hovering all year and, you know, kind of in the mid-70s. Now suddenly $20 from there. I'm surprised there's not more coming to the market, although maybe the Iranians will come to the market ever since we gave them that $6 billion back and, you know, five five prisoners. You know, maybe they'll help Joey out. Yeah, it's uh, it's it is, I don't know, the, the politics of that, just the, real quick, remember uh, Fari used to be on the show, Fari's from Iran, his dad was the Shah's chief Air, Air, uh, Air Force guy or something. A, yeah. lot, a, lot, a lot of that money was, quote, owed to uh, yeah. Iran because they, 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 they gave us a bunch of money for military stuff and we never delivered it after the revolution. So it's always been a big you know, bone of contention. But you have yeah. to you have to give them cash because they're not part of the SWIFT network. We, we 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 nobody can write them a check because we kicked them out of the SWIFT network. I'm not I'm not yeah, no. I'm not I'm not an Iranian fan. Don't, don't no trust me on this. But the only way I think we can actually give them money is give them cash, which is crazy. No, no, I understand. I think it's just the optics, right? Yeah, oh yeah, the optics are horrible. <laughs> the optics are horrible. Of course, they're they're not horrible if 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 the plan all along is to get rid of cash and you give it to them in two years from now, it's not worth anything. <laughs> you, you, you somehow we're, or or we're going to deflate it another forty percent by pouring more into the system, you know. 
anyway, what's uh, so what do, you, what do you make of this week? What are these guys doing tomorrow? Is tomorrow just going to be a dud? I think tomorrow's going to be a dud. Here's what I think they're going to pay attention to. that No one cares whether or not they're raising rates because they're not, right? They're, they've made it very clear they're positive. What they're going to listen to is the language. What sentences did they change? What words did they take out? What words did they add? How does that change not only the, the meaning of the sentence, but the tone of the overall message, right? Is, is this pause really a, a pause that's going to last? Does he think that rates are going up in November again? I think they have to, but I think it's going to be very interesting to hear. I think the other thing that people are, are wondering about is, is he going to tell us when rates are starting to go down? I said, listen, they haven't even stopped going up yet. How do you expect them to tell them when they're going down, when he, right. when he continues to be on the path of raising rates? That sounds stupid. Now, while federal funds estimates or projects it's going to be May of 2024, how can Jay Powell get up there tomorrow and go, oh, yeah, we're going to start to cut rates in May 2024? He's going to raise them in November again and maybe even December if inflation doesn't calm down. Well, so wait, I think it's a, I think it's a dumb request to say when's he going to tell us when they're going down. I don't think they're going down in May of 2024. By the way, what do you right? what do you make of the fact that the last three months the money supplies start budging, nudging back up again? Well, you know the money supply is your big thing, right? I don't pay a whole lot of attention to the money supply, but you, I'm sure, have a lot of comments on the money supply. Well, I mean, it's it's such an identity that over the right. over the path of the COVID, they dumped. They increase the money supply by 35, 40%. Right. And, and, right. And, and that just means when, once it plays through, they did it so fast, it actually couldn't happen so rapidly because the money ended up back at the Fed overnight. Right. Because M0 was actually bigger than M1 for a while, which is the money back, kicked back to the Fed. Well, that's now working its way even now, still through the system. That's why the idea that inflation's over is crazy. I mean, everything yeah. you see at the but, end of the day, everything's going to be 40% higher than it was three years ago at the end of the day. What did you say was? At the end of the day, three and a half years, COVID, when we, when we decide, okay, today's the day, all this stuff's over, you're going to see everything yeah. is going to be 35 to 40% higher than, than it was. And if you go through the list now of, of major stuff, it's almost exactly the number. Yeah, but look, and we've talked about this. Inflation, it, prices are not coming down. They are no. still going up, albeit at a slower pace. Right. But they're not coming down. That's right. And so the idea, you know, that they that they that they solved inflation, they ha- everything is everything is fifteen and twenty percent higher than it was, and it's continuing to go higher. Well, it's a thing. It is. Yeah. Like you and I have talked. We got a dash, but it's a it's a major decision on somebody's part, is whether you just bring the rate of inflation down, which they sort of have, to two percent, and say this is just where we are, or if you actually try and fight the price increases that you put in and try and drag them back. I don't see them doing that. I'm not so sure I'd even want to do that. But uh, yeah, yeah. I don't think that's going to happen. No, no. All right, buddy, take care of yourself. Um, right, get some good weather down there and stay away from hurricanes. SP Futures yeah. up four, Nancy Futures up ten. Be right back, Professor Elsner. This self-directed trading is a lonely job. Online trading is not as easy as point and click. No, it's not. Everyone, even professionals, need to share ideas and think out loud every now and then. That's what I like about PTI Pro Direct. Their staff of former option floor traders really helps me choose the right strategy for trading option volatility and plan the time to gain for my covered writing program. Yep, nothing can replace years of trading experience to stop you from making that dumb trade and for saving a few bucks. We've all been there and done that. <laughs> yeah, I have access to all that great trading advice and experience for just a penny a share for 
stocks, $1 for equity options, and $1 minimum a trade. Our clients at PTI Proto-Ruck can call when they need a little help on a trade or just to talk about the market in general. We trade every day. We love this stuff. That's what I like most about PTI Pro-Direct. Cheap prices, along with great advice from real floor traders. It's the best of both worlds. Tell your friends. That's PTIProdirect.com. PTIProdirect.com. Hear ye, hear ye! The Homer Broadcasting System is on the air! Stocks, jocks, stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control! Right here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Something happening here. Gold Rumpack Stacks and Jacks. I'm Tom Matt Weber. The board SP futures up three, and the futures up seven. So after Friday's big sell off, yesterday and today are a pretty feeble attempt at a bounce, at least so far. But we may get it. Uh, today we might get it something with the Fed announcement tomorrow. Who knows? Uh, Professor, how are you? Good morning. Um, hey, I have a question that I forgot to ask Kenny. And even though uh, you don't live in Florida, you're a professor, you're supposed to know everything, right? Um, yeah, I don't know everything. Um, <laughs> uh, I, don't, I don't know if you've heard this, Matty. you got some friends down there. Uh, uh, Audrey's got a pal in one of these big, huge complexes, right? Uh, the, I don't know, where they almost got their own name now, where there's a big well, people on the water and then people inland and golf courses and all the other stuff. And uh, I think the people close to the water just were notified by one of all states. Uh, I don't know if it's all state anymore, but all states, like the smaller ones that they put in there in Florida so they don't bankrupt the whole place. I think they told them they're canceling everybody's insurance. Is uh, is that something that can all of a sudden happen? Hell, I mean, I, I guess so. I don't know. So nobody's gonna no no prices. Nobody picking it up or what? That wouldn't be good. Well, um, uh, yeah. I mean, to me, it seems like um, the insurance situation in Florida with the hurricanes it receives. Um, you know, I always thought you know maybe premium should be more. Right, um, so I think I think market interventions by the government um, kind of pressures these insurance companies to offer services they wouldn't otherwise offer, and you get a bunch of buildup in those areas because you know who want who doesn't want to live by the ocean? Rich people, poor people, everyone wants to live by the ocean. So you get this massive buildup along the ocean, and uh, you know a hurricane comes through. Uh, and what does the hurricane do? It basically wipes out everybody. The risk pool includes everyone, and it can take down the insurance companies. It's, it's no different than I was talking about this with my students last Thursday. Uh, we were talking about insurance. You know, this government mandating people to have insurance. Why? Why do government mandate people to have insurance? Because the government said, "Hey, you got to cover pre-existing conditions." I mean, that's like that's like telling a uh, tornado insurance companies, if there are any, that um, you have to cover people whose homes have already been knocked down by tornadoes. So government usually creates these consequences. And firms, I think, uh, comply, you know, maybe because they're the only game in town and they have a monopoly position. So um, it's not surprising. I mean, they're, they're probably getting cleaned by um, the effect of the hurricane. So it doesn't surprise me at all. Well, I don't... Uh, in theory, I think what you're saying makes some sense. I just... I don't... I, I, don't, I would say I, I'd believe the government before I'd believe an insurance company. 
Well, well I mean, they're, they're, they're part of a cartel, though, right? Yeah, I mean, I'm saying, well, they were told the truth. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're part of a, the, the government insurance cartel. I mean, there's lots of government industry cartels, and this is just one of many. There's the banking government cartel. There's the military uh, government cartel. So there's, there's a lot of government cartels. To me, they're really one and the same. One does the bidding of the other. So uh, the government says, you do, and you're like, okay, since I'm the only provider, since I have the sole privilege of selling the services in this industry because of government edict, you know, I'll go along with it. So to me, they're one and the same. Well, I mean, they, the, uh, I, I don't, I wish I, I wish I knew the numbers. So it's hard for me to, why do I keep going back to what the numbers are? Because, because people talk, expect you to believe stuff. And what did Shannon used to say? Don't pee on my shoes and tell me it's raining. I mean, uh, I, the when we were younger, uh, when I was younger, of course, I guess we were all younger when I was younger. The you know the, a hurricane would hit, and a lot of times it hit an area where there weren't a whole lot of people. Yeah, uh, and I, but I don't honestly know. Well, with all with all with Florida really building out everywhere, it seems like it's building out everywhere. Well, it is, but I but I just yeah. I just wonder, Hal, if you take I mean we've had these horrendous hurricanes in the last you know twenty years, but if you if you take if you take away the screw ups that are like you know. A New Orleans where the dike wasn't wasn't repaired when it should have been, those kinds of things. But if you charge reasonably premium rates, which they do, I think they do because insurance companies are good at charging. And you take the, the land all the way from like southern Virginia, all the way south around Florida to the Gulf Coast, that is a bleep load of people paying stuff. Yeah, I mean, and and, and what percentage percentage of it is wrecked in the worst year? A thousandth of one percent. Well, I would say, in the absence of government intervening in these markets, I would say the uh, the look of the coast would be a lot different um, in the absence of all that over the last fifty years. Well, I said that I think you'd get a completely different coast. Well, what this year we've had the one that, that slammed into the area north of Tampa. I mean, I mean, think about it, Tom. When there's a hurricane in there, FEMA comes in and just dumps a bunch of money on it, right? Okay. What I'm saying is, yeah. if the other ones seem to be heading out to sea, okay, and they have, and what if what if no other hurricane hits? Yeah. How much money did these guys make this year, on the surcharges yeah. in all these areas? Yeah. I mean, nobody will talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, what 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 do you suppose that number is? Yeah, I can't even imagine it. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm having trouble buying milk, let alone... Uh, I was talking about milk in class of the day because I woke up that morning and there's no milk in the fridge. So for me, on that particular day, milk was really scarce. And I had to walk to the little bodega uh, to buy the milk, right? Because the, the bodega has a surplus of milk. What the bodega owner doesn't have is cash, right? He has to pay the lights, electricity, whatnot. I don't have milk, but I have cash in my pocket. So that's why exchanges happen. So to me, you know, it's 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 hard to buy a gallon of milk in New York City. So I can't even imagine what these uh, what what these profits are of these companies um, where the hurricane uh, just goes up the coastline and rains yeah. on the ocean. I mean, I can't even imagine it. I mean, there's no there's no doubt that if it slams into Miami, you, you got a problem. And if you yeah. get three or four yeah. of those a year, there's probably not. You know enough in the in the in the kitty for that for that year. Yeah. But yeah. I believe on another kind of year, I mean, you know, because you, you see these guys and you know, I'm not, it's not like I'm casting all these aspersions today, but just by observing stuff, somehow you end up casting aspersions no matter what. I mean, I we covered, Matty, how long ago was it? About how much money 
the last couple of years, because of the rising prices in uh, auto repair, you know, collision repair, uh, that evidently all these auto insurance companies are losing money. You know, and they're all sniveling. They all lost this money, billions of here, billion there. State Farm, uh, who were the guys? Farmers, Allstate, everybody. You know, they got to raise the rates. They got to do this, but you know, and maybe, and yet, every time I turn on a football game, all I see is Flo and and, and the stupid bird. And, and Jake from State Farm, if they're losing money in every policy, how come how come they're falling over themselves to get my get my business? I mean, something doesn't connect. I mean, yeah. if you lose money on every, on every Christmas tree that you sell, why would you bring two trucks next time? <laughs> you're double well, you, know, you know, we have this new mercantilist economy, and you know, uh, people within such a society with that such with that kind of economic system. They're always looking for government to uh, protect themselves from their competition, and they get used to that, right? Oh yeah, oh yeah. They don't, they don't have to face the kind of competition they would have to otherwise face, and so, you know, when things get difficult, I, I think there's this tendency, human nature, to say, "Hey, our margins weren't eight percent this quarter; they were only five percent, right?" So, you know, that becomes a tragedy, right? So, you know, that that's the kind of system we live in we don't have a market system if we had a market system um insurance companies wouldn't be able to do the kinds of things they're doing they'd have to compete with insurance companies from mexico with insurance companies from china they'd be disciplined by the market they're not disciplined by the market they're disciplined by government and and i don't i don't think government can discipline like well somebody i use the term oh boy Hello, you know I don't want to disagree with you on any, disagree with you on any of this stuff, but you you could never trust a uh, an insurance company, for instance, to to sell life insurance and actually keep money enough money behind it. If if there was a bunch of extra people died some year, they actually have the dough. If you you yeah. could never trust them to do that. I mean, even Sarah Palin, as Republican as she was, said. Every time I deal with these oil companies, I got to I got to count my fingers. They're all a bunch of crooks or something along those lines. You, you can't trust them to do anything. Man, you know? I tell you, it, it's it's bad in New York City. Um, I'm helping my mother-in-law with her rental property, and you know it, the plumbing's leaking. Like every plumbing job that she's hired out in the last 15 years leaks, and we're over there looking at the fridge. We had to defrost the fridge. It was plugged up. There was no air going from the freezer part of the fridge to the the refrigerator part. So we get that problem fixed tonight. And for some reason, I opened up the cabinet below the sink and it's dripping and it's been dripping and it warped the uh, that wood down there or that particle board, that bottom shelf. I go, mom, we gotta come back and fix this. So I go back to fix the plumbing. Guess what was home, holding up the sink? The plumbing, the drain line was holding <laughs> up the sink. And she paid $14,000 for that guy to go in there and you know refresh the cabinets paint the walls, put in a new floor, and they just rip her off. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's just unbelievable what goes on in New York City with respect to these these so-called contractors. It's just That's horrible work. You know, every you, you got to know that everybody's got to have a guy. If you don't have a guy, yeah. you can trust. Yep. I mean, yeah. every, every, There's not a lot of guys you can trust in New York. The only, thing, the only guy I, can, I think that you can trust in New York City is Dead. Jock was a Haitian auto mechanic. And you know who showed up at his uh, funeral? All of his clients, because he was probably the only guy that was honest doing auto mechanics in Brooklyn. One of my uh, ladies has been on the show, her husband, she, they live in New Jersey now, but he's been a 
home builder, high-end home builder, and he's a structural engineer, does a lot of work in New York. And he, he was saying they built a house for essentially Tony Soprano, right? <laughs> and he goes, We've, I've never had a house go up that fast, that well, because the guy showed up every day and paid all the workers in cash. Yeah, that's kind of like the movie uh, Tom Hanks and Shelley Long, The Money Pit. He said, he said, I didn't have to worry about any workmanship. <laughs> no. <laughs> if you don't pay those little cash payments on the side, and really only rich people can, yeah, uh, you're. Gonna, I think you're going to get really shoddy work because they're just rushing through the job. It's a. Uh, um, I want to talk to you about the, you know, not who who we're rooting for or whatever in the, in this strike, uh, auto workers strike. But I see, you know, uh, I don't know a lot of what I talk about. Uh, Hal, to me, is is such an amazing change in the economics. I've talked way too much about the name name image and like this thing in college sports, but it's essentially the birth of a, an entire industry all at once. You know, it's it's you know it's like a birth of a new world, economic world. Yeah. It's like, it's like when we, we, uh, in the early '70s when they deregulated all you know, the rails, the trucks, and the airlines yeah. and stuff. It, it, well, I would I wouldn't say that. I don't think it birthed an industry. I just think it came, brought it out of the shadows because that stuff was going on. Well, uh, players, yeah, players but, are being paid. Well, but it's it's not even, but not, not nothing to this degree. I mean, I, yeah, I, yeah. I, I buddies, well, my, part of it. Part of it is to do with all that money that was the Fed pushed into the system, right? Well, true. Part, yeah, part of it. Yeah. But I mean, the, the what I what I what I'm seeing here, and uh, is not just not just the cash. It's it's not the same as 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 one booster slipping some guy, yeah. you know, yeah. a, a, enough money to buy a car on the side. That, yeah, because there's a risk of getting caught, right? But, but so now, but it's now not there's as much as it could be. Yeah, but now it's people are actually paying people to be football players at a school where the yeah. where the employees. Are being paid by not the employer. It's, it's a, it, and it crosses human resource lines, it crosses economic yeah. lines, it crosses everything. I've never seen anything like it. Well, t- you know, t- in this in this world today, we're all micro entrepreneurs. In twenty years, yeah. we're all going to be micro entrepreneurs. We're going to have probably ten side gigs, and we're going to have an AI running it, right? So to me, it's it just a natural course of things. We're all going to be. There, there's not going to be labor, right? Labor's not going to like have to unite and. Destroy the capitalist, right? You know, I don't, I don't, I don't buy AI is a, is a progression in my mind, it, like to everything yeah. else. But right now, it's just well, it's really good at doing a certain task, right? That it's programmed to, well, and it's only going to get better at that. You're just going to manage it. You're going to manage. But the I'm AI saying it's been it's been getting better every year. But yeah. Uh, anyway, I was talking about this, this auto worker strike. It's not just a bunch of guys out there trying to get a raise. Yeah. I mean, it, in in my lifetime, and stuff I've I've read about, I mean, when we started with the you know the, the uh, robber barons and those kinds of people, the Rockefellers of the world, the Carnegies, business was dominated by the people who owned the place, yeah. because they were essentially the only shareholders. But the owners basically shoved everybody around, labor, management, you name it, right? As time went by, the unions finally caught a a, a toehold. And over a period of time, in 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 my era at Pullman and those places, and then the truck docks and so forth, labor might have got a little, I'll say, too much power. That when you if you looked at the pie, the pie was going way more toward labor, or not way more, but appreciably more toward labor, than maybe toward middle management. But I know middle management at Pullman, I was the part that went over the fence, fence last. I mean, they got they got coal increases, I didn't. So middle the, your your accountants, your financial analysts, your schedulers, those kinds of people, they 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 weren't in the union. They didn't get anywhere near the same kind of benefits. 
or they didn't probably even get a good salary for the training you had. And the shareholders probably still got a reasonable amount, okay? Uh, now you're at the point where I think the, the laborers for the last 25 years have gotten bleep. Uh, shareholders, nobody cares if they get a dividend. I mean, nobody ca- And it's the, middle man- it's the management class that has been ruling the, ruling the world. And now the, the auto workers union are saying, hey, you can't send any more people to China. They're actually coming back. There's, there's a, we now have some economic power. Now, it's not, it's not overwhelming. You know, they'll be lucky to stay up with inflation, but it's way more power than it was 10 years ago, in my opinion. So it, it's fascinating to watch for me, you know, because all of a sudden these guys do have some power. Where yeah. you got idiots like Trump saying, I, I, if, you, if you ask for a raise, it's going to go to Mexico. No, it's not. They're having trouble down in Mexico. I, I don't think GM wants another plant in Mexico. They're, they'd rather pay the guys a little bit more here. Uh, that's my opinion. So I think labor actually has some power. Shareholders have zero. Actually, zero zero power. I mean, the whole idea that General Motors during the 2007 was went bankrupt, the shareholders were worth nothing, and management class comes back with all the power. That, that to me, was another, shall we say, awakening of some kind. But now it's kind of slipping back the other way. Where do you critique what I just said? Am I, am I doing this review properly or no? It's not, it's not just a raise here. Well, the labor unions only have power because they've been able to lobby government in the states where they have strongholds to create uh, a monopoly of uh, workers in a, in a given trade. So without government help, uh, the firms would just switch to non-union labor. Well, without, so without, that, without government help, what do you kill them all like in the old days? No, you don't kill them all. You just hire somebody else. Okay. So I think what happens in the United States, if they can't go to Mexico, if they can't go to China, and they can't go to uh, Canada, I think what they, what happens is maybe they get some short run. They get a great contract in the short run, but I think all these automakers are going to shift to uh, electric vehicles, and they're probably going to shift their production uh, in places to places like South Carolina, where uh, it's a open. You can't shop, pay people so. in South Carolina five bucks an hour anymore. You used to be able to. You can't anymore. We're talking yeah. about the, well, the, the entry level right. uh, wage for these guys is sixteen fifty. That's pretty yeah. light. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I think what they'll do is uh, the companies are going to probably look elsewhere where they don't have to deal with the labor. And, you know, if you want to join a labor union, that's your business. The Constitution allows us to, the freedom to associate with whomever we want. So if you want to join a labor union, be my guest. But I think what will happen is these companies will find somewhere else in the United States or somewhere else in the world where they can set up shop where the union doesn't have a partnership. So, so no matter what. You, you, there's nobody to negotiate with. You can constantly drive it down to, to a subsistence wage, no matter what. Well, I think. Uh, well, I don't think you uh, drive down a subsistence wage. I think when I was looking at the numbers, uh, if you looked at total compensation at General Motors, it was probably twenty, thirty thousand more than at Toyota plants. And I think what's also going to happen, you know, so uh, you know, auto workers are making a lot more money than I am, right? In the they last, haven't got. In the last, a, in the last twenty years. Got, uh, adjusted for inflation, their their salaries are going down twenty percent. Yeah, but from a higher level, from a pretty high level. Okay, so what do you, what do you suppose yeah. management salaries done in the last twenty years? Oh yeah, I, I, yeah, I suppose it's uh, gone up faster than inflation. Yeah, I a hundred percent agree with that. Um, just like in 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 the uh, higher education sphere, uh, the salaries of the administrative class at these universities is incredible, right? Yeah. So. Um, you know, that's just what I see. 
So I think you gotta you gotta be careful with what you ask for. I think asking I don't think you get very much sympathy asking to work thirty hours for forty hours of pay. I don't think you get very okay, much sympathy. You know you know that's gonna be something to negotiate away. Yeah, I think that's probably just thrown out there. Yeah. Like Lowell asking for a high wage from uh, Roy and Joe Hackett in the TV show Wings. He said he wanted some like Ferrari or something like that. Yeah. He just kind of threw that out there. I think that's just fodder, right? They're gonna they're gonna probably say no, we're not gonna give you that. But I think when you ask for something like that, you don't get a lot of sympathy from people who are working a full time job and a part time job to buy the milk at the bodega. I don't think you're getting a lot of sympathy. From well, people. I think the Management also controls the dialogue to a huge extent. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, the idea that that the, I mean, if you put, I'm surprised that, that people don't actually don't do this. Uh, Hal, I mean, I, I don't know. Uh, boy, I'd be a real son of a bitch. I'd say, if they asked me, I, I would actually just put. I, I'd, I'd rent the front page of the Wall Street Journal or New York Times or anything anybody reads anymore, yeah. and I'd say, yeah. here's the top 50 people at these places. Here's the raises they've gotten over the last 20 years. Here's oh, yeah, I would put that out there, but I, that's yeah. the thing I would be putting out there. But I think the labor union is kind of dancing with the devil here. If they ask, if they ask for too much and they get it, you know, what are the companies going to do? They're going to probably th- look to automate. In, well, whatever, uh, but, I mean, that, but that's been a threat for yeah. 20-some years. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean been... you look at the factories. If you look at these factories, I saw a commercial of Toyota cars being made. I didn't see a human being on the production There's, there's something floor. like 35 labor hours in a car. Yeah. Yeah, and and and, and the, you know we have a population that doesn't listen to stocks and jacks yeah. uh, that that is absolutely convinced that if these guys get a raise, the price of their car is going up. And what they yeah. fail to see is, dummy, the price is already up. <laughs> and, and the price of the car is going up because yeah. of the Fed pumping forty percent new money into the economy since like what twenty twenty. That's that's where the inflation comes from. Is. But you also so have, that, yeah. you have tremendous. Uh, well, they call it supply chain disruptions. Essentially, the industry has decided to cut back on production. Yeah, and then you can't you can't buy a basic pickup. You can only buy an eighty thousand dollar pickup because we use the chips for that one. Well, I, you know, I think we're running into a situation here in the United States where they had in the USSR. I was watching when you guys posted something about, and I and I responded with that uh, scene from Moscow on the Hudson, where there's this huge, massive line for toilet paper. Yeah. Well, when I was looking for that clip, I came across a video, I think by Milton Friedman, where they're talking about the problem with the way things are made in Russia. There's no price, right? The prices are all set by the state. And so you might have 99% of your material to make a product, and you might have inventories in 99% of those areas, right? But in that 1%, that one out of 100, um, inventory is zero throughout the United States throughout the USSR because markets don't set prices. And I think that's slowly creeping into our economy. We have so much red tape and regulation and rules and protections against competitors and free trade agreements that aren't free trade agreements. They're really just protect me from my competitor trade agreements. Sure, right? what I, I, I get into China, my competitors don't, right? So we have all this stuff infused in our economy. And I think that is creating a lot of these bottlenecks you know we're, so we're, me, we're sucking we're, we're, we're sucking the, the we're sucking the competition yeah. out of the just as we, we've talked uh God, a while ago we haven't talked about uh, if we are in fact bringing stuff back from china if we are and i think i think there is some increase in production here um i can see it in some of the metal area metal working factories and stuff here in uh chicago my nephew works in one of them and i get a 
reasonable uh, finger on the pulse of that industry from him. Uh, it's 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 creeping, and we're trying yeah. to hire guys and everything. But the question is, can can you really be competitive? I mean, can you can you without government subsidy? Without well, government no, protection. I'm saying it's that the, the banks don't want to lend to somebody like that anymore. We we put, no. we've decided that banks just take people's money for free or used to. And, and turn around and give it to the Fed, and that's how they made money. They're, some of these yeah. banks I don't even think have a loan department. I mean, you walk into Chase, they, they want to give Hal and Chief and, and Webby uh, Plumbing Company a loan. They, they, nobody, yeah. nobody, nobody wants that business. Yeah, they, I don't think they want that business. It's, yeah. it's, it's, you know, it's, too, it's too low on somebody's totem pole to give us a $100,000 loan for a, new, yeah. for a new truck that we fill out with a, you know, stuff and a guy. They, a guy, a couple of guys. The, uh, so, I mean, it, it's, 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 I think it's very difficult for this, the the group that you and I know generates the cash uh, or, or the jobs or the middle the middle companies, I think it's really hard. Plus, I don't know that I would string myself out for 20 years on policy that just changed. I mean, how do I know it's not going to change back? And all of a sudden, I'm back with no customers. Yeah, a lot of the a lot of the restrictions uh, that kind of forced a Republican form of government, a little R Republican, not big R Republican, but that Republican form of government. Um, a lot of those restrictions in the Senate have been whittled away. So what, what happens in the Senate now is the Democrats take over. There's really no minority rights, so the Democrats do what they want to do. And then in the next election cycle, maybe Republicans come in, and there's no protection for minority rights for the Democrats who are now the minority party. And so the, the policy just kind of swings back and forth. And on top of that, you have, a, you have presidents who are just making law with executive order with their yeah, plan. They don't, right? so, they so there's don't. no consistency. There's no there's no way to really understand what policies get or how it's gonna shift in the future or I think, when it's gonna I shift. I think that's hugely dangerous that whenever you yeah. flip one party or the other, the first two days all the guy does is get rid of ninety bazillion uh, executive orders and writes up a million new ones. That's that's and insane. And how do companies I mean, deal with that? I, mean, I don't, do I don't deal see deal how you do it. it. Well if you're if you're big enough you're you're the one pushing the strings. Oh yeah, I mean, I mean maybe 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 the big companies like that because yeah. what it, what does it end up doing? It eliminates the the smaller companies because they can't get around those changes. Well, there, there's no there's no question. And yeah. I was reading some stuff about uh, uh, you know I get this core thing, and one of the questions was uh, why was you know Trump such a bad president? Of course, there's people in there that say he's a good president, but I was having to read this one. And they're saying the, the guy went overseas, and he said he they they. How did I find this out? I don't know whether it's even true. So before he went over to talk to the NATO, the big NATO thing where he allegedly threatened to get out of NATO and all this stuff, they said they they they, they prepared for the guy like a five-hour indoctrination in the history of NATO and all the rules and all that stuff and who does what. He didn't he didn't show up. He went and played golf. So when he when he got over there, he was talking about all he did was how many people in this country do you think talk about the big lie are convinced that the people in the NATO countries don't contribute their fair share to like some pot and they actually owe us money. I mean, I, I'm going to say a strong part of the percentage of the people in this country believe that. First of all, they don't owe us any money. The commitment is to, is to spend 2% of your GDP on defense, not to give it to us. And yet, if you listen to Trump, they owe us money. No, they don't. Well, he also says that about uh, yeah. a budget or uh, trade deficits, right? Yeah. He says we lose, with, with the idea that every nation should seek budget surpluses. That's or I mean trade surpluses. That's just not physically possible. No, right? the, the idea is, is yeah. they have it so. I mean, I mean, free trade is a good thing, up to a point, 
Uh, let's talk about it after break. SP Futures up two, okay. NASDAQ Futures down three again. We're really slow going into this uh, this announcement tomorrow, uh, which doesn't seem like it's going to be very much, but we'll see. We're right back, Stocks and Jacks. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox, the control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to factor in the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other life decision. Your brain is smarter than your gut, and that's why you owe it to yourself to read Luckbox. We've made it easy because Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with timely, actionable trading ideas and equips you with savvy investing tactics you don't already know all while exploring how to live your best life through music spirits food sports travel fitness and a whole lot more luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on controlling their financial futures it's for overachievers and alpha types who don't buy into wall street's investment gurus it's for mavericks who believe in life luxury and the pursuit of happiness it's for you smart investors don't bet on possibilities they play the probabilities luckbox is 7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Hello, this is Tom Howard, the Chief. We've talked a lot on the show about risk and suitability, about how your portfolio should match your age, income, and risk appetite. It's been hard for investors to maintain that suitability in the last several years due to a Fed strategy that has driven interest rates to virtually zero. You may have even heard that the Fed was trying to drive conservative investors to a riskier portfolio on purpose, for whatever reason. I'm sure you're aware of investors that took some increased risk, such as longer-term fixed-income securities, and are now unhappy with that choice. At PTI, we've always stressed total portfolio risk awareness and tried to minimize chasing returns in a tough environment. Well, now it looks like maybe interest rates are moving more towards historical levels. Everyone needs to be aware of what that continued movement might do to your portfolio, both good and bad. We also have a stock market that seems to have stalled, at least for the short term. I think it's time for everyone to take a serious look at their goals, their risks, and their portfolios. Do they match? If not, we can help. We have a signature protected index program. We have ways to hedge against interest risk. We can make that portfolio right for you again. Go to PTISecurities.com or call us right now. The market can change very rapidly. That's PTISecurities.com. Stocks, jocks, stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Hello, and welcome back to Stacks and Jacks. I'm Tom on the board. SP Futures unchanged, unchanged. NSA Futures down 12, uh, Dow Futures up 13. Uh, individual stacks in the dollars like American Express up a buck 16. I've got uh, really nothing. I've got Microsoft down a whole 50 cents. Visa down 57 cents. Nothing, nothing moving here. Uh, before this meeting, it's amazingly quiet. I mean, we've been, last few weeks, I'll give you some examples here in a second, but uh, the, so the DAX down 34. 0.2% FTSE up 3, call that flat. Kick around up 10.1%, so nothing going on there either. EK giving up uh, what they made the other day. They were not open yesterday, so uh, they're down 290, it's 0.9%. Hang up 66, uh, closing very close to 18,000, 17,997. Shanghai unchanged, well, up down 98 cents, call that unchanged. Uh, yesterday, again, uh, nothing here on the... Uh, the Dow was up six, S&P up three, Nasdaq up one, and that happened right in the last ten minutes. We were pretty much unchanged all day. Uh, bonds up two basis points, four point three four. The Bund up two, two point seven three. Japan up two point seven two. Everybody's up two. Oil creeping again, 
not so much creeping, actually jumping. It's on hour 17, that's 1.3%, 92.65. Rent up 67 cents, 95.17. Natural gas up 4 cents, 2.77. Arbob up a penny, 2.70. Uh, gold up 450 at 1957. We're trying to make another run toward the higher end of the 1900s. We'll see if it happens this time. Silver up 13 cents, 23.63. Up over a dollar in the last four days. It's kind of a big move. Cower down, copper down three cents, 374. We've got crypto, Bitcoin up again today, 377, 27,203. Again, tomorrow, finally, we're going to have uh, Mr. Ryan Flynn on to talk about uh, his Bitcoin uh, theories and company, and it's pretty interesting. Uh, the U.S. dollar uh, down a little bit with the euro back up to 107 and the pound up to 124. Anyway, for us, with the sports, there's all kinds of stuff for no market move. All kinds of stuff. 35 minutes past the hour. Good morning once again to everyone out there. We're off to a decent start, but we know there's rain in the area that's going to affect travel times. Uh, but no accidents to report on any of the expressways. There is a significant crash off the expressways, though, in uh, Bolingbrook, southwestern suburbs. Uh, we have a crash on Weber Road northbound at Normantown Road. This crash is involving two cars and a semi, and it has the two right lanes blocked of Weber Road on the northbound side with all kinds of crews on the scene, so not great uh, down in Bolingbrook. But uh, as far as travel times are concerned, O'Hare into downtown, still less than an hour, about 57 minutes from O'Hare into downtown. Uh, but your Edens is moving slowly. Inbound Edens from Lake Cook Road into the Jane Byrne Interchange is up to 76 minutes. Uh, so that is not looking great. And no issues on the Eisenhower. It looks like from Harlem into downtown is about 31 minutes. Uh, and the inbound Dan Ryan, 31 minutes from uh, 95th Street into uh, the Jane Byrne. Weather today, as I mentioned, uh, clouds early. We are expecting rain to uh, begin in the Chicagoland area here in the 8 o'clock hour, and it will affect the rest of the morning rush. Uh, but still dry downtown, overcast and 61, going up to a rainy high of 68 degrees. For our Phoenix listeners, sunshine with a high of 100. Right now it's clear and 77. In sports, Cubs were off last night. They're hanging on for dear life in the playoff race. They uh, currently hold the last wildcard spot by just percentage points over Cincinnati after the Cubs have dropped five in a row in eight of the last ten. They welcome Pittsburgh into town to begin a three-game set. Cubs really need to sweep the Pirates if they can. They'll look to get started tonight at 640. White Sox played last night. They beat the Nationals 6-1. D-backs were off. Diamondbacks host the, or hold the second wildcard spot after dominating the Cubs over the weekend. They'll host San Francisco tonight. Lastly, it was a doubleheader in Monday Night Football. Saints beat the Panthers on the road 20-17. Steelers beat the Browns in Pittsburgh 26-22. Chief. The, uh, the series in Arizona brought eerie uh, shades of deja vu all over again, Yogi. I remember the Cubs played those guys in the, in the playoffs. How many years ago was that? It was 2007, 16 years ago. Uh, I was there. I went for two games. They lost both. They lost both, and it was the same thing. Well, game one, Zambrano dominated, and uh, inexplicably, with a low pitch count, Pinella took him out, and the bullpen gave it up. Uh, it was sort of the same thing, though, that they had at the time, I'm going to say the fastest outfield in all of baseball. And the Cubs hit all these balls into the gap, and these guys ran them down. <laughs> Every, I'm sitting there going, there's a shot, and all of a sudden there's some guy shows up and grabs it. <laughs> well, they, it is a pretty big outfield, so I think they build that way to try to have uh, guys that can go gap to gap. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, that was, uh, that was rough because the Cubs, after a bad first half that year, and it was Pinella's first year as manager, they got red hot in the second half, added some pieces at the deadline, ended up winning the division, and were kind of the best team in the National League for the last, like, two months of the year. And had a lot of momentum, and uh, yeah, uh, 
ended up getting swept in three games uh, yeah, by was, by the D-backs. It was bad. Uh, I remember Lou said uh, uh, after you know after the game, I took Zambrano out. He'll be ready for Game Four. Uh, there was no Game Four. There was no Game Four. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have to be. You have to be that sorry. ballpark, by the way, is the worst ballpark I've been to. Terrible ballpark. Yeah, it's, it's not even like a, it's awful. It's not even like a, it's not even like a, an arena with a roof. It's like a building with a with a field. It's in a it. building. It's dead in there. It's yeah. sti- somehow it's still hot and humid in there, even though uh, you're indoors with air conditioning on. It's just, it's it's just a. It's, I don't think the air conditioning. I think they get it down to like eighty five. Yeah, it's dreary in there, and and it didn't help. The one time I went to a game there was the uh, second game of the twenty sixteen season when uh, Kyle Schwarber blew out his knee. And I was I was sitting right there down the left field line God. and and saw it I had a front row seat when the cart came out I thought it was an omen for a, a bad season turned out obviously Cubs won the World Series that year and Schwarber came back for the playoffs but he missed the whole regular season I, it's a, the the opening is so screwed up not like these other ones now where the walls go down and everything they can't even grow grass right I think you're right yeah although their football stadium grows grass and yeah. it's indoor well that, that but that opens up. An awful lot more. Well, Plus, they, they, they open the it up more, and then they they leave it open all day so the grass yeah. can get sun all day, they, and then they close it for games. Don't they wheel the grass outside? I think they do. Yeah, actually, um, that's the big. Uh, I don't know if you've heard this. Uh, Al, with the uh, talk about it for a second, but again, it goes down to economics and people getting getting pissed off. Did you, uh, man? Did you spot all the uh, hue and cry over the artificial turf stuff? Yep. With, with uh, Rogers injury. Yep. And evidently, who's the, the guy who's the tackle on uh, Green Bay? Uh, the all-pro guy. Was it Maltiari? Or how, how do you pronounce his name? I actually don't know. Uh, but evidently, he must have been the, uh, I don't know if he's the union rep, whatever he is, but he, he published this huge chart of non-contact-related in- injuries and how high they are in artificial surface versus grass. And uh, well, some of that people do to themselves because they, they put some shoes on that are inappropriate for but that's another story. But evidently, the, th- the thing that's got the union all pissed off, Al, is that for years, and, and Lou talked about it Thursday, that the Players Association has essentially has bought into this fact that it's too expensive to, to maintain a grass field in a lot of these places. Well, what's coming in two years is what, the, the soccer thing, Mitty, or Al? Yeah. So all of a sudden, every one of these, these stadiums with, with a, a chance to uh, get the soccer is essentially – Dropped their trowel and said, "We'll we'll be happy to put grass in for you guys." <laughs> <laughs> so kind of kind of reminds me what we were talking about in the first segment, right? Yeah, yeah. But, well, we we talk about the oddest stuff here, but it all is the same subject. There's all the same mm-hmm. logic to all of it, isn't it? So now, yeah, the, now the it's economics. Say, there, there's yeah. not labor economics. There isn't monetary economics. There's just economics. And all of a sudden, these guys go, "Wait a minute! If, if, if you can't maintain grass for us, what, what about these other dudes? How come you're putting it in for them?" So they're get about you know whatever. So. That's that's what's happening. On that well, part. I think I think in places like Washington State or Oregon State or Oregon or University of Washington, you can't you can't have football on grass because you know the snow, the rain, especially in Oregon. I mean, you get rain all along I five, and it just pummels Seattle. So I think in outdoor stadiums, in college football, you ha- and baseball, you ha- you know for these universities. Maintaining grass is like impossible, but I think at the inter- at the NFL level, the pro level, there's no reason not to have grass. Well, I would say that uh, I'd almost go just the opposite on that. Except uh, if you were to just have somebody put a really serious grass field in, like the Sodfather here in Chicago, and put the right drainage and all that stuff, and you only played eight games a year, yeah, I don't. 
But now that's not going to happen. Soldier Field, they have grass. And last year the league was so pissed off about it. They How many – what they have uh, – Soccer was playing there. They had a college football game, and they had four concerts or something, right? Yep. That, that tore up the grass. Tore it up, yep. The first game, yeah. it was lousy. Yeah. So it's a question of how much you want to put in there. I mean, Pittsburgh Pittsburgh has grass, and they still have University of Pittsburgh and the Steelers playing in the same place. And yeah. they, they well, Phil Turf, Phil, the Phil Turf they use at Washington State is a lot better than the AstroTurf that Earl Campbell oh, yeah. oh, is yeah. on, back on, right? That, that AstroTurf was just horrible. That, that was like – Playing football on asphalt. I mean, just but so it's a lot better than that. Well, remember, uh, but these the, NFL teams, these NFL teams could you know have grass. I'm pretty sure of it. Well, the uh, there's also there was a guy, a podiatrist, orthopedic guy, that said if, if you let me look at the field and tell everybody what shoes they have to wear, there wouldn't be any increase in injury. Hmm. Yeah. But they won't do that. Everybody wants, everybody wants an advantage. Yeah. So anyway, so yeah, I mean, you're right. It's economics is I, the thing I, I I worry about, and we we comes out in our in our discussion a lot and not just yours i mean certainly with russell is you hope that the, the government hasn't screwed the mar- the market up so much i'm not talking about the stock market the economy up so much that the normal ways where people see a uh, uh i mean how capitalism free market capitalism that crony capitalism is supposed to work is if if hal and i go out to the hardware store and we see Boy, they got all these nails, and yet people are asking for a size nail that nobody makes. We're going to say, wait a minute, we we can get this little plant together, and we can make that nail because nobody else seems to do it, or the guys that do it, there's only one company doing it, and are charging a fortune. It, it's everybody seeing a need and being able to get the factors of production, big big term in the morning, which means the land, the building, the capital to build it, the cash to build it, that we can actually go about getting that without somebody preventing us Without somebody else buying us up right out of the gate, so we don't do it. That's that's how our our system is designed. Yeah. And what Hal and I are always that, that's talking, how it's supposed to work. Yeah. That's how it's supposed and to that's work. That's how that's why Hal and I are always basically bitching about. Well, you can't do that because that guy get money at two percent, and you're paying ten. All all these little things that enter little little you know I'll say tax along the roadway where you're walking do nothing but screw things up for everybody. Yeah. And well, microeconomics is a horrible job of teaching this too. I mean, it talks about entrance to bar- or barrier- barriers to entrance. Yep. Those barriers to entrance, to me, are just, they should have paragraphs in these economic textbooks talking about the entrance barriers. To me, it's the need laws. I didn't learn about them until I started researching why there were so few hospital beds during the pandemic. And I realized, well, in 34 states, they, they can actually, uh, incumbent firms, hospitals, can issue a competitor's veto and say, no, we don't need that new hospital. They can veto it. Just They can just issue a veto. And it doesn't cost much for these vetoes at all. Well, I mean, but how much the logic, if you look at uh, the, well, it's not new, new anymore, but Northwestern Hospital, which is relatively new, man. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's you know, you walk in there, it looks like it's new. Is, is it a part of a larger hospital system? Oh, yeah. Well, Northwestern yeah. now is one of them. Yeah. Them and University yeah. of Chicago, yeah. Uh, to a smaller North Shore. The, the they, they incumbents all, are allowed to expand, but no new real entrepreneurs are allowed. To there's have that probably space. only what four or five hospital groups in the area now, man. Yeah, I mean it's probably, uh, and they, they they keep taking. But I mean, when you build one of these places with all this donated money, there's there's still you know there's still tax deductible donations, even though they're for 
you can't tell me they're not for profit when the people in there are making so much money. They're, oh, yeah. they're just isn't shareholder. Somewhere, uh, Hal, if you were to, maybe I'd be the only one who read it. I'd love to see somebody write a serious book on prof- profit with about twelve question marks after it. What, is, what does profit <laughs> even mean today? Yeah, I mean, it's it's supposed to mean you and I and Maddie start a place, we put our capital up, maybe we borrow some money, maybe we do something, but basically we own it. The risk is on us. Uh, you know, our feet are in the fire. At the end of the day, if we make some money, guess what? It's ours. That that's. But how many places that you do business with every day are set up that way now is it even half does anybody really care about the profit I mean you I mean if you if your kid goes to Notre Dame or Northwestern or someplace that's a quarter million dollars or more that you're spending there supposedly is no quote profit there but there's extra money right I mean, oh yeah I mean there's money there that could Either being spent that maybe couldn't be could not be spent because somebody's getting it and somebody else is getting it. Maybe it's going. I don't know if it's going to the order back in France. I doubt it, but maybe somebody somewhere is getting this stuff. But even though Northwestern allegedly is a not-for-profit organization, there's a lot of cl- cash slushing around that building that that somebody's grabbing. Now I guess it's not quote profit in the sense that there's no shareholders or there's no owner, but it, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of green flowing around, wouldn't you say? Well, you know, what I'd like to know is why does, you know, Northwestern selling educational services, why why is that model not for profit? I, I have no idea. It's exactly my and, point. And why, why is the local diner who's selling meals to people a nonprofit, right? If, if what Northwestern does is nonprofit, why isn't a local diner which supplies meals to people Nonprofit. I, you, uh, I mean, your lips to God's ear. That's why I asked yeah. you to write the book. Yeah. <laughs> this will all be clear when I can read the book. And you're gonna... it, may, it may absolutely makes no sense to me, right? Northwestern supplies educational services that people highly value. People pay for those services. I highly value the diners, drive-ins, and dive on this street in Brooklyn. I go there and I eat because I value those services. Why? Why are those two different services treated differently by government? If if I donate the, the little jukebox on the wall of the diner, why isn't that tax deductible? If I do the same thing <laughs> in Northwestern, it's tax deductible, <laughs> right? Yeah. I think I think what it is is you know some people don't have to pay taxes legally, and others have to, right? Well, but I mean, if, if, if my if, point is know. just because they're not for profit doesn't mean they're see so, you know, the CBOE. Oh, they they brought they got profits, right? Profits just revenues minus uh, expenses. Well, the CBOE was set up. There's in a, it's a Delta, Delta Delaware corporation. Delaware, it's it's like uh, country clubs it was set up exact same way as a country club set up. If you if you go around New York and or even in Chicago here, I will bet every single country club here, Maddie, is is, is incorporated in Delaware because they're the one place that has this kind of rule where. It's it's not for profit, but if you make money, you got to pay taxes. So at, at the end of the year, what the CBOE would do, they would they would target a uh, okay, we're going to make you know, we need a we need a war chest, say fifty million bucks or something in case something goes wrong or in case we have to add on real quick or something. So you you, you target a war chest, and if all of a sudden you needed to make five million dollars, but that year was a bumper year, and you actually had 
cash, I'll, uh, excess cash, I'll call that instead of profit, you would, you, would, you would rebate to the members fees in December to get you back down to where you started. So you could rebate to the, essentially the members because the, the members at the CBOE were the same as the members in a country club. They own the place. Yeah. So there's, there's ways to go about this. But, but the other stuff, I mean, what, what does Northwestern do at the end of the year with a whole bunch of cash? Well, they give a bunch of people the right people bonuses, and they, and they go out and spend more money on stuff. And then say because they spent more money, they, put it in a new athletic facility. Well, that, right? but then you say, well, because we spent this new money on this stuff, our, our cost is now going up. So tomorrow, tomorrow, this guy's staying overnight in the hospital because he's sick. He has to pay more than he did yesterday because it's it's just this huge. I won't call it a Ponzi scheme. It's almost a Ponzi scheme in reverse, mm-hmm. where, where it could, by by its growth it becomes almost uncontrollable. The, yeah. the growth what? fosters yeah, more I and mean, more costs, more and more charges, more and more yeah. excess cash, but no profits and no taxes. Yeah. Yeah, it's just a, a legal way to avoid paying taxes, I guess. Well, I mean, some people are allowed to do it. Some people aren't. If, if you if you look at the city of Chicago, and I'm not going to give the mayor or any recent mayors any kudos, but if you look at downtown, not only do you have everybody leaving now because of all the problems we have, but if you look at State Street, uh, there's got to be four dorms that I can name the buildings that they were in. The one on uh, on Van Buren, Maddie, and the South side of the street on State Street, that was the Sears building. So when Sears had a big uh, department store down here, and the one on the north side was Goldblatt's. Okay, now they're dorms. DePaul charges a boatload of money. So do those schools. There's all kinds of money there, yet they pay no no property taxes. So the city essentially has four massive buildings, probably more than that when you count the Art Institute and the Roosevelt University and all those places. It's got to be what what percentage of the the footprint and that part of the loop, Manny, is schools, 25% and pay it's no taxes. It's getting there, yeah. Paying no taxes. Well, Columbia's the same way in New York City. Well, Columbia's a massive property holder. Why do people in Evanston pay a bleep load in taxes? Because Northwestern is, what is it, Manny, 10%, 20% of the property, they pay nothing. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 spectacular. I mean, what, how is it that, that they don't they don't have any city services or anything that they don't pay for? I mean, when, when, how when, about the churches? Same way. I mean, yeah. well, I, I don't have—I don't really have an issue. I mean, I, maybe because I'm a raised Catholic and still am. I don't really have a problem with the the church at Notre Dame being tax-free because we do have a separation of church and state. How that applies to the football stadium, I'm with you. <laughs> I mean, well, football's I mean, religion, man. Well, I, I'm so, I'm so, well that, that's kind of what we're talking about. I, I, I could see if, if you're driving through Iowa where Maddie's from and you see some, you know, white steeple church out there um, I don't have a problem that guy not paying taxes because we don't want the government to intimidate them for religious purposes but if I drive by five years later and see some massive place there with a football stadium and everything else I'm going wait a minute wait a minute. <laughs> is it, where is that where, where does it say that in church right well you know the funny thing about that is uh, science is debate if you don't have debate it's not science right if there's no debate it's religion and it seems like the things that we're allowed to debate, uh, more and more things that uh, we debated in the past, we're not allowed to debate now. We can't debate uh, global warming. We can't debate certain issues, right? When you can't debate, that becomes a religion. And when the government enforces that rule, then the government is violating the Constitution. It is instituting religion, like with COVID, COVID masking, COVID vaccination. Uh, you couldn't debate it. You couldn't debate it on social media. 
So that became a religion. So when there is no debate, it is religion. And when the government encourages the zero debate, the government is imposing a religion on us. Well, I, I don't disagree with that. I mean, maybe and there's even if it's something is a nonprofit, there's kind of there's sort of no test. Yeah. Like for instance, uh, we had somebody on a while ago, Maddie. We should have maybe them back. Uh, we had somebody on from the Chicago Food Depository, and one of the ladies used to come on the show once in a while, Robin, who's down in New Jersey. When she was in Chicago, she became, went on the board of the Chicago Food Depository, which is you know a nonprofit organization. But I said, Robin, how the hell did you pick that place? And she goes, I went through every one of them and saw how much of the money people give them goes to wherever it's supposed to go. And they were like the only place in the, in the over 90% number. You know, some of these places only wow. 30 40% makes it to wherever it's supposed to go. The rest of it's gobbled up. The rest up of by, the salaries probably. Right? Yeah, it gets gobbled up by, I'll use the term overhead. Uh, yeah. So those guys, I mean, I, I could probably see why you're not charging them property taxes for the warehouse where you deliver food there and they immediately turn around and deliver it right back out. Where if they didn't do it, the city would have to do it, right? They feed. What did they, what did they say? The guy said he fed many 220,000 people a day or some massive wow. number. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they do all the food kitchens. They all that. So I could see that. But if you had some firm where 90% of the money stayed in-house and 10% went somewhere, if you could find some guy in the street to hand it to, well, that 90%, I'm not so sure I want to give those guys free property and everything else. I don't know where the cutoff would be, but the fact that there's none seems a little weird, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, you can't tell me that much I like to beat on them because it's my play. You can't tell me that Notre Dame isn't some sort of, an, of a for-profit operation. Yeah. I mean, really? I well, mean, their football program definitely is. Well, sure. Then they say, oh, but, that's also, yeah. but that's also religion, so it's okay. Well, then they say, no, we, we, we're going to spend that for... The girls' fencing team. Oh, really? Yeah. You know, or they're going to pay for inter hall athletics. They're going to pay for this. You know, it's all in the same budget. Yeah. But you know, we we don't. But what you, we're talking about, a lot of this stuff is is a constant little barrier to what's happening, and that's why the Fed, in my opinion, they can't allow the money supply and stuff to do what it did because it's not even, and it'll yeah. never come back because yeah. the, the people that are the people that are favored by this equation the not necessarily always the biggest ones, but the people who have their little niche that can raise their prices, they're going to keep them raised prices. And, and you never know who's got the power until you let it loose. Yeah. And clearly the, well, the, the Home Depots of the world do because there's no competition yeah. in that business anymore. I mean, in Chicago well, there is because we have a uh, – there's, there's no Myers – not Myers. There's no Menards in New York or Utah, right? Yeah. yeah. Was that – There's no, no, there's no uh, uh, Menards. So Menards is a store? Well, yeah, they're, they're huge. And they're, they're like the third serious competitor. They're like Meyer in Michigan? No, no, they're this third serious competitor to uh, uh, Lowe's and Home Depot. So we oh, actually, yeah, yeah, we don't have that. Yeah, so we actually have three people here. So I'm going to say it's probably much more competitive than a small town with either a Lowe's or Home Depot. Mm. Would you say that's true, Manny? Because they, yeah. they, they, they compete pretty good here. Uh, and you do still have some smaller places. So, But I, I mean, in a, in a, how how big is a Home Depot in uh a town of thirty thousand people. It's got, they got to be the only store there, aren't they? Well, usually there's a if there's a Home Depot, there's a Lowe's across the street. It's like McDonald's and Burger King, right? Okay, yeah. but I'm saying it's it's some level of population. You probably don't find that. So well, Lowe's, Lowe's tends Lowe's tends to be more. Uh, I go there when I'm like looking for things for to make the house look nicer. Where Lowe's, I go there mostly for like when I want, I'm doing like more of a contractor job. Okay, you know, for my house, yeah. I think that's how they differentiate themselves. But even Kmart and Walmart, back in the day when there was a Kmart, 
if if the town was fifteen thousand people, you didn't see both of them there. No, no, yeah. You know, but you could you could drive to a town that's you know twenty thirty miles away, and you can that's, get. That's the truth. Yeah. Hey, so uh, are you still uh, you're still commuting back and forth, uh, Carolina? Well, no, I'm uh, teaching online, and then uh, on Thursdays I teach microeconomics or macroeconomics at Mercy University in Manhattan. All right, so if I was to come and heckle you, where would I have to go? Uh, Mercy uh, University on 34th Street uh, on the uh, street with the Empire State Building and Macy's. Really? Okay. Yeah. So I'm in, I'm in there on Thursdays from uh, 11.30 to 2.30. You guys are more than welcome to come if you guys come to New York. Would Maddie and I kind of stick out in your class? Maybe You we'll... would because they're all pretty young. <laughs> <laughs> so Maddie wouldn't. He'd still fit in. <laughs> I, I, you know, uh, I haven't seen Maddie's picture in a while. So you know what? He, he hasn't changed. He looks great. Oh, okay. Yeah, then, well, he, he probably look. I mean, I have freshmen in my class, so when you look at a, when you look at a senior in a senior economics class and you look at the photo roster, it's usually the freshman picture. And I'll tell you, there's a huge difference between a, a kid at 18 and a kid at 22. Well, I think uh, Matt, So Maddie, I, think, I think Maddie would stick out. We're talking about him like he's not here. I think his one-year-old is keeping him very uh, fresh and in shape. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's a lot of exercise, man. Yeah. Hey, I'll take Stay care, buddy. SB Futures now down five. NASDAQ Futures down 30. Again, slow, but kind of limping lower here a little bit. Back tomorrow, Stocks and Jacks. What do we learn, Palmer? I don't know, sir. I don't know either. I guess we learned not to do it again. That's all, folks.